Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone. It is 7.01. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. It's Carriker and Smallman. That is Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carriker. Great to have you with us for a morning of talk. Michelle, good morning to you. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Randy. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm happy about St. Louis and Devin Williams winning the <laughs> National League Rookie of the Year for Milwaukee. Kyle Lewis of the Mariners wins the American League Rookie of the Year. So it's always good to see a St. Louis kid. And by the way, Hazelwood West, man, they've, they've got a good history. Kyle McClellan, our friend Matt Weiner, they, they've got a good history of turning out people. And Devin Williams is the latest. Yeah, the, the next best thing to having a St. Louis Cardinal succeed is having a St. Louisan succeed. Mm-hmm. So congratulations to him. Yeah, and uh, he, he follows in the footsteps of Ryan Howard, mm-hmm. St. Louisan, who won Rookie of the Year. Uh, Roy Seavers, a St. Louisan, who won Rookie of the Year. And he was the best reliever in the National League in 2020. So he wins. And then in the American League, it was Kyle Lewis. And the Cardinals don't have any rookies mm-hmm. that even were in contention for Rookie of the Year. Darn it. But you got some good things out of Dylan Carlson. He, he certainly intrigued you. By the end of the season. And he has a chance next year, Michelle, to be the National League Rookie of the Year. Well, Randy Rosarena has a chance to be the American League Rookie of the Year. But (laughs) here's the thing. You look at the top 100 prospects in Major League Baseball. Of the top 20, there are 16 that have an estimated time of arrival of next season. 11 of those are in the American League. Five are in the National League. So you've got Mackenzie Gore, who's the number three prospect overall. You've got Sixto Sanchez, who is uh, with the and had a great run for the Marlins down the stretch. You've got Christian Pache, who played for the Braves in the playoffs. Joey Bart, the catcher for San Francisco, who had a terrible run. And then the number 19 prospect is Sanchez. So I really think the path to being... The rookie of the year in 2021 is much more clear for Dylan Carlson than it is for Randy A. Not only does Randy A. have those 11 players that he has to deal with. He isn't on this list, by the way. 11 rookies that he has to deal with. Two of those guys are on the Rays. The number one prospect in baseball is Wander Franco, who's going to be up with the Rays in 2021. And they also have Brendan McKay, who is a pitcher and a designated hitter who's going to be up in 2021 also. So Randy's going to have a battle to be Rookie of the Year on his own team. True, but none of those people have the juice that Randy A. has right now. He has the added advantage of heading into next season with a massive amount of buzz Mm -hmm. around him based on what he did in the postseason. It's almost his award to lose. But that also presents a tremendous amount of pressure. 
if, if he feels pressure, because he's got a standard to live up to. Now, he's he's got to be better than all the other rookies, but he also has, a, has that postseason standard that he has to live up to. He seems cool, calm, and collected, and I think the opposite may be true for Randy A. I think the postseason success is only going to give him more confidence that he can do it consistently during the regular season. Hopefully, he would be oblivious to the pressure, too. When you're playing for the Tampa Bay Rays, I can't imagine there's a lot of people asking you about feeling pressure. I can't imagine that the fan base is going to put that much pressure on him, right? <laughs> I don't think so. So he, uh, he'll he he'll have a chance. And I am excited about Dylan Carlson. I'm excited about the Cardinals' young players, but I always am. And I've been disappointed a lot lately. That's true, but Dylan Carlson did show you some flashes uh, when he came back up last season, especially in the postseason, that make you believe that it's possible. At least with Dylan Carlson, that hope still exists. You know the skills there. It's going to take some time. I hate that the pressure is on him for so many different reasons to succeed because, like any young player, it might take time for his skills to develop. Mm -hmm. It might take time for him to arrive at the level of expectations that the fan base and the organization has for him. And it doesn't help his case that the team is in a precarious position right now, that they desperately need offense, and that all of his peers in the organization have gone off other places and had success. At the end of the day, if he doesn't win Rookie of the Year but winds up going to the Hall of Fame, I'll be okay with it. Same. I'll take that. How about he just becomes a major piece of the puzzle that gets the Cardinals a world championship? I'm good with that. I don't even need the Hall of Fame. I don't need Rookie of the Year. I don't need any MVPs. I just want him at some point to be a Randy Arozarena in the postseason that ends up in a championship. One thing we have learned here, though, especially during the decade of 2000 to 2010, 11, MVPs help you get to the World Series a lot. That's true. <laughs> They're pretty good. I have seen that a lot <laughs> with my own eyes. Yeah. <laughs> Michelle, bad news for the White Sox and Tony Larusa last night. Jeff Passan and the folks at ESPN.com uncovered the news that Tony Larusa had been charged with driving under the influence in February in Arizona and was actually charged the day before he was named the White Sox manager. They knew about it by all accounts, and he, he was already, he has been hired. I, I would think that with the ownership in place and with the knowledge that Tony has had a tendency to uh, tip a few in the past, 2007 specifically, I, I can't imagine that Jerry Reinsdorf will do anything to not have Tony Lewis as his manager. I, 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 I would guess if the White Sox did know about this, that they knew it was going to come out and it's just something else that they have to deal with with mm -hmm. Tony Lewis. It's a shame that Tony has to deal with this stuff. But when you bring it on yourself, you bring it on yourself. Yeah, it was dis disappointing to read that news last night. And I'm sure that Tony has addressed it with the White Sox. As you mentioned, they know about it and it doesn't seem to change their opinion. I'm sure he'll address it with his team at some point as well. But I think if you're the White Sox and Jerry Reinsdorf, while that is a, a poor decision that he made, I don't know if it Im directly impacts the way that he's going to manage this team. And that's probably what the White Sox are thinking. But I always think it's amazing that something like that happens. He goes through the process of getting hired. And now we, we just find mm -hmm. out about this now, that this is something that he presented to them during these conversations and that it never leaked out at any point. And the official charges took place the day actually before he was hired. He did say in 2007 that it would never happen again. And you're, I would think... If I ever got a DWI, I would be scared straight. Mm -hmm. There's no way that you would get me in a... And I, I don't drink. But if I ever did, for whatever reason, have beers and get pulled over and get a DWI, 
There's no way. And by the way, there are a lot of people that have multiple DWIs. And I understand that alcoholism and drinking can be a disease. I don't sense that Tony's got those issues. Maybe he does. I don't know. But my point is, is that when you have that profile, that you you should never have that happen again. You should be scared straight. It's so easy to call an Uber, or if you're Tony LaRusso, yeah. who's made so much money, have a have a driver. But when you're in that state, you're not thinking correctly. You're not Arizona. <laughs> Perhaps yes, mental state too. When you're impaired, I should have said not when you're in that state. Yeah, Arizona, I guess is is the place. But yeah, it was just like I said, a disappointing decision, and I'm sure he's going to have to answer to not only his team but the public. Someone's going to ask yep. him about this, and we're going to hear what he has to say. And. The, the sad thing is, because we both like Tony a lot and respect him a lot, he already was behind the eight ball with White Sox fans mm-hmm. because of his age and because of some of the things that he said since he retired. And this just gives those people that already have the negative connotation more ammo against him. He's not going to have much of a leash, I would think, with the fans and media in Chicago. I have a friend, it's so funny that you say that, who texted me last night and just said, talk me off the ledge about TLR. And I said, I can't believe, and this is before I saw the news, but I said, I can't believe that you were this upset about it. And he said, this is the most fun White Sox team that I've had in a long time. He's a diehard White Sox fan. And he said, and I don't understand why they couldn't have found a young, swaggy manager to go along with this team. He goes, I think that Tony's going to stifle them. And he was just so upset about it. Even now, even after it's had time to aerate and breathe a little bit, he still is that upset. He said he and his friends were devastated when they heard the news. All right, let's strip away names and reputations. You're getting a new manager and I'm going to give you the choice as the owner between two different managers. Okay. No names, okay? Okay. One that you know got his second DWI, uh, the first one in 2007, the second one in 2020. Another one that you know was suspended for being in the middle of a cheating scandal, a, a, a sign-stealing scandal that was completely against Major League rules, and it did cause him to be suspended for a year and fined. Which one would you lean towards not accepting? You, you Each has flaws. So you've got the baseball issues. You've got the off-field issues. Which one would you hire? What a great question. Bad decision-making on both parts. I would really have to sit with that. I think I would lean towards not accepting the cheating scandal in baseball strictly because I'm also thinking about my clubhouse environment. And I think the person who has the two DWIs, while a bad decision both times, a really bad decision, I think that that's something that you can get help for or you can sit down and talk to your club and say, this was a terrible, learn from my mistakes, this was a terrible decision. Whereas the cheating scandal within baseball and the arrogance and the defiance that came in the wake of it, I know how affected other baseball players were by that, and I know how personal a lot of baseball players took that, and I don't know if that's something that would go over in my clubhouse. I agree with you, and the reasons are, I I think, the same, but here's the thing. If the team that the manager is managing has a night where they score 10 runs and get 14 hits, somebody might be sitting in the fans with the manager that cheated and said, hmm. Something's weird here Mm -hmm. with the manager that had the DWI. And by the way, has 34 years primarily that we know of, I should say, 
of being responsible. But what happens on the field is not affected. Bill Polian talked about deflate gate and made a great point. I thought that I think should apply to all sports. The closer it gets to the lines, the more egregious it is. Interesting. And I believe that in a situation like this, when you get into the stadium and you get into the clubhouse, now you get between the lines and it's affecting the game. I think that's more egregious from a sports standpoint. From a and not a society standpoint. I want people to understand that, yeah. but from a sports standpoint. That's a great point. By the way, uh, during the crossover yesterday, Danny Mack mentioned that he was listening to that podcast uh, from Ben Ryder, who was the Sports Illustrated author who famously put on the cover of Sports Illustrated in 2014 a picture of the Astros, and it said, here's your 2017 World Series champions. And he went back and he did the, a podcast, a very well-done, very in-depth podcast about the Astros cheating scandal. And I'm through two episodes in and it's fabulous. People should listen to it. But the first person that they interview is a pitcher who got absolutely rocked by the Astros and then got demoted and never played in Major League mm-hmm. Baseball again. And how many people got rocked by that offense? And there's there's a ripple effect throughout baseball. And I just, I, I imagine too, as you said, what happens in between the lines, that if there was ever sort of a confrontation or tension or a rift between a player and the manager that the player would automatically default to how can I trust you you want me to trust you how can I trust you how can I believe what you say you're a noted cheater you cheated my friends out of performances and some out of jobs how can I believe in you Whereas I think mm-hmm. these players are human and they make mistakes in their personal lives and outside of the field, too. And maybe they would have a little bit more empathy and understanding for a manager who had made the DWI mistakes. Yeah. Well, I want to make one other point here about Tony. I think if it weren't a situation where he had the relationship with Jerry Reinsdorf, that there would be a very good chance that he would get fired. But because Wally Backman, now that was domestic abuse with the Diamondbacks. But they didn't know about it. It was a crime he committed, and they fired him. I do believe, and by the way, Carlos Beltran, mm-hmm. Cora, Hinch, well, those two were suspended. But those guys were fired for doing things. But I do think that in most situations, a manager where you found out, where it became public that he had a DWI right after you hired him, I think you get fired. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, we want to hear from you. We've got a little game of what's better. Send in your text to the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. What's better with Randy, Michelle, and Scotty next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. We want your text, 65780. It's a little game of what's better. And with your what's better questions for us, here's Scotty. We need your text, the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. This one comes from the 636. What's better for the city of St. Louis right now? The Cardinals winning the World Series, the Blues winning the Stanley Cup. It's got to be the Cardinals winning the World Series because the Blues have won a Stanley Cup more recently. And people are not down on the Blues. People are down on the Cardinals. Mm -hmm. And the Cardinals need to rebound and need to get back into the winner's circle because that's who they are. That's what they do. And I think for this city's well-being, with with all due respect to the Blues, if you go, Michelle, you travel a lot. When mm-hmm. you tell people you're from St. Louis, yeah, right, back in the day. But when you tell people you're from St. Louis, they say, oh, Cardinals. It's from the city's standpoint, that is our definition, is Cardinal baseball in the arch. I have seen Cardinals hats 
on people all over the world. Mm-hmm. I saw someone wearing a cardinal hat in Thailand. And I was like, Cardinals. And he's like, you from St. Louis? I was like, yeah. <laughs> it's our identity. It is. As we are a sports town, but I think if you are from St. Louis, you, you probably have a cardinal hat or two in the back of your, of your closet somewhere. Air Comfort Service text line is 65780 from the 314. What's better, having an entire month with no consumption of news or an entire month where you didn't get to know the forecast? Oh, I would say no news because the news bums you out nine times out of ten. And I would like to know the forecast before I leave my house. If it's raining, I want an umbrella. If it's snowing, I want to have a coat. I I could live without knowing the news. I try to fool myself into thinking that I could live without the news and be oblivious. But I don't think I can. I think I'd rather roll the dice on the weather and know what's going on around me. Especially now with COVID mm-hmm. and with everything that's going on. I I wouldn't want to just walk into a store without a mask on and people say, wait, wait, you got to wear a mask. What, what, what's, the, what's up with the masks? Huh? Why, are we, yeah, why are we doing that? Did you remember when COVID first happened and there was that story about, uh, I, I don't watch the show, but Big Brother, where the people are sequestered yep. in the house. And once the season wrapped, they got out and they had no idea that mm-hmm. a pandemic was going on. That would be you yeah. emerging from the Big Brother house saying, I'm sorry, what's going on? <laughs> and maybe I'm a little bit more sensitive to tracking weather patterns right now because I have to work outside every day. And mm-hmm. that's all I do is the night before I survey the hourly <laughs> forecast and I circle the warmest time during the day. And that's when I plan my outdoor workout. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 636. What's better, Chick-fil-A or Popeyes? Oh, good All question. due respect to Popeyes. I love Popeyes. And I love a fried chicken breast. But Chick-fil-A is top of the line. It's top shelf. And they do everything right. My pleasure. So I'm going <laughs> to go with pleasure, Chick-fil-A. Right? And I know that you like one of the sauces. Polynesian sauce. The it's Polynesian the sauce. Bomb. And I really like the Chick-fil-A sauce, but uh, as much as I like the idea of Popeye's, by the way, it's kind of spicy, but (laughs) Chick-fil-A just, they run their business right. So I feel like I can't give a proper answer to this because, and this is shameful, I still have not had the Popeye spicy chicken sandwich. Oh, you need to. I also haven't. Oh, Mr. Fast Food over here? I what? know, this I is, know. This is shameful for you. <laughs> you need to do that today after the show. We're tasking you with it. But I have heard from many palates that I respect and trust that the Popeye sandwich is better than the Chick-fil-A wow. sandwich. So, and by the way, those Popeye's biscuits, amazing. Now, I think I'm going to go Chick-fil-A just because I prefer a waffle fry over mm-hmm. a biscuit. But I feel like I cannot give a true judgment on the chicken until I have the Popeye's chicken sandwich. The overall, and by the way, I must admit here off the bat that I am not a regular at Popeye's. I've never had a bad experience at Popeye's. But one of the reasons that I keep going back to Chick-fil-A is that the overall experience is tremendous. That line moves so fast. Yes. You're intimidated when you first pull up because the line is really long and then you're right in and out really quick. Quality, service, price, hard to beat. Speaking of in and out, so overrated. In and out, oh, when you go to California, that's a hot take. It's not a hot take. When you get animal style french fries and you have to eat them with a fork and it's sloppy and the fries are soggy it's not that great shake shack is infinitely better than in and out and that's really? not even a hot take it's just the truth when the rams would go to the west coast invariably on the charter home they would have in and out burgers and i always thought they were delicious 
but I was probably super hungry too. So I, I wonder if I were there because I kind of preferred Carl's Jr., which by the way is Hardee's. But I, <laughs> yeah. But I, I kind of preferred Carl's Jr. to uh, to In and Out Burger. So I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying that we'll get a million texts that that's a hot take. Have you had Shake Shack? I have, and I like it a lot. Okay. Just curious. I think for In and Out, you kind of you get what you pay for. It's a lot cheaper than Shake Shack, mm. so it's not as good. I think Shake Shack's a lot better than In and Out mm-hmm. because In and Out's just made so cheaply. It's really not that expensive either. That's right. Okay. So maybe that that's just my amateur uh, fast food review. Uh, from the <laughs> amateur, th- come on, you're a pro. Yeah, please, you're the expert in this room. Don't cut yourself short. <laughs> from the three one four, what's better, a double header with an April early season Cardinals day game and then a Blues playoff game at night? Or a doubleheader with a Cardinals October Day playoff game and a Blues early season game. Mm. That's a really, really good question because I really love both. I do too. You know what, Michelle? I think I'm going to go with the Blues playoff game. I think I am too. Go ahead. I, first of all, being able on a nice spring day to go to a Cardinal game and then walk over to Enterprise Center. There really is nothing like it. And as much as I adore postseason baseball, I've said this before, and I will always think this, there is nothing better than Stanley Cup playoff hockey and sports. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And if it's early season Cardinal baseball, too, you're still riding that high from opening day. Mm-hmm. There's still a lot of hope around the team. So you you have that excitement with baseball and then the ultimate excitement in playoff hockey. Whereas even though you have great excitement with postseason Cardinal baseball, you're not as jacked up for early hockey as you are point. for early yeah, baseball. Kinda, yeah, yeah. I, can, I can take it or I can go home and watch that one or listen to it on 101 ESPN. Yeah. Like, let's, let's wait and see how the team settles yeah. in. Whereas for baseball, you're like, yes, it's Cardinal baseball. Let's go. So you're hyped up all day long with the first scenario. And by the way, I prefer the weather for the playoff baseball game and the early season blues hockey game. So do I. But yes. the scenario of the spring from a sports standpoint is better for me. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you want to chime in for what's better, this one from the 636. What's better, a week where you have a 45-minute workout in the snow and cold twice in a week or a week where you can't work out at all, even inside? Michelle, you're looking at this. Why would you be bummed out if you couldn't work out? (laughs) I'm only doing this now because I have to. But if you don't get to work out at all, you just feel kind of blah. I mean, you... You're just going home and sitting on the couch and watching TV and eating bonbons all week? If it's freezing outside and snowing, I don't even think twice about not working out. Not even twice. But at least you get to work out inside. Yeah, but I would just... I'm not going to be super bummed out, Randy, especially if it's around Christmas time. You're watching some... You're watching Elf by the light of the tree, drinking some hot cocoa. I'm not for one second bummed out. Yeah, I'm with you. (laughs) I, I would... I'm so over working out. You have no idea. I'm so over it. Oh, it's 75 days in a row. It's hard. Twice a day. Yeah, our, I'm on day 41. Well, yeah. Several years ago, I was talking to our friend Howard Richards about working out. He said, I'd just like to work out seven days in a row. If I could do it seven days in a row, I'd be really happy with myself. And I thought about that. It's That's hard to do. A lot of people work out every day, but it's still hard to do. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I, there's no way that I would take working out twice in the cold and snow 
over not working out at all. I'll just, I'll lay in my bed the whole time. <laughs> Me too. I was just thinking about you when it was raining outside. Imagine if that was freezing rain. Yeah, there's no way I could do it. No chance. <laughs> no chance. Yeah. Thank you, Scotty. You got it. And thanks very much for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. So have you found the bad weather on the horizon yet? Are you? Have you looked? I have looked, and there's one day next week where there's only a 30% chance of rain. 40%, excuse me, it went up. But here's the forecast for next week. Sunny, partly cloudy in the 60s this week. Beautiful. I am cruising right along. Thank you, Mother Nature. That's fantastic. Good for you. Yeah. Coming up, who's the most exciting team in the NFL right now? That's coming your way with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle, the National Football League has changed dramatically, and the, the league is all about scoring. If you go back 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, there has never been a time like right now with teams essentially scoring at will. So you, you look at a team like Kansas City, and I, I think we can argue that their offense is the most exciting offense in the league, and they do play good defense most of the time. Kansas City right now ranked number two in the NFL scoring 31.8 points a game, but their defense is number six at 20.3. So they play a lot of blowout games. Mm -hmm. I have one team that stands above everybody else as the most exciting team in the NFL. Do you? I have one, but I'm curious to hear what yours is. It's the Seahawks. That is not where I thought you were going to go. I thought you were going to pick your Pittsburgh Steelers. Steelers are great. The Seahawks are number one in the league in scoring and number 30 of 32 teams in defensive points allowed. They average 34.3 points. They allow 30.4. Every game seems to come down to the wire, Sunday notwithstanding against Buffalo. And they have a quarterback that's really exciting, and they have a defense that can't stop anybody. To me, those are the most fun games, the ones that go down to the wire that are one-score games where everybody's scoring right and left. It's not the best football, but it's the most exciting football. It's true. There's a couple teams that I find very exciting. You mentioned the Chiefs. We've mentioned the Steelers. As long as this, well, the Steelers are exciting anyway, but as long as the Steelers remain undefeated, they're going to be exciting to watch. They're number five in the league in scoring, and they have so many weapons. And Big Ben, we talked yesterday about how Patrick Mahomes, to me, has emerged as the best thrower that I've ever seen. Nobody has ever, and I think I can definitively say this, nobody has ever stood in the pocket against the rush like Ben Roethlisberger has. He's amazing in the way that he can just stand in there and people are banging against him and he's still able to get the ball where he wants it to go. There's there's two teams that I wrote down last night immediately, Randy. Uh, the Green Bay Packers at mm-hmm. times are very exciting for me. But how about the Miami Dolphins? I love watching this Dolphins team play, especially the past couple of weeks since Tua's taken over. Last week, or this past weekend, he was electric. Yep. And prior to that, Brian Flores has this defense rolling. So while it is an offensive league, watching a defense like the Dolphins and what they've been able to do to quarterbacks, specifically Jared Goff, has been really exciting for me to watch. I like a, a young team that's finding its identity, that's growing. That's exciting for me to watch. Same thing for the Cardinals and Kyler Murray. Well, I, I was going to say what the league has become with guys like Rodgers and Murray and Mahomes and Tua, those 
athletic quarterbacks have changed the game. Mm-hmm. And if you have one of those guys, by definition, your team is going to be exciting, isn't it? Because you know that you're going to be in the game at the end. And when you look at the top scoring teams, Seattle has one of those quarterbacks. Kansas City has one of those quarterbacks. Green Bay has one of those quarterbacks. Breeze doesn't move around as much. They're still pretty exciting. They have a lot of weapons. And, and Big Ben, even though he doesn't move fast, he, he can still move around. But then Kyler Murray, uh, you look at Lamar. There are so many quarterbacks that are mobile now that can do things that the Tom Brady's and the Peyton Manning's of the world couldn't. I really do believe that right now that position is more exciting than it's ever been. I agree. There's a, a couple other guys that fall into that, too. How about we we mentioned yesterday Justin Herbert is really exciting to watch. Mm-hmm. Joe Burrow, too. Yeah. A lot of these young quarterbacks have really piqued a lot of people's interest. Yeah. Even Daniel Jones had a 70-yard run. Oh, Brandy. Not, not that exciting? didn't work out so well. (laughs) So with all these quarterbacks, let's look at those three that we're talking about. Burrow and Tua, obviously, this year, and uh, then you've got Herbert. Of those three, who do you think is best equipped, and this includes the team, the franchise that Mm -hmm. they play for, to have a successful career? Because one of the reasons these teams had top six picks in the draft is that they weren't very good last year. That's right. So between Burrow... Tua and Justin Herbert, who do I think is going to have the most immediate success or who do we think is going to have the best career? Let's say that after 10 years, who's had the best run? Hmm. That's a great question. I'm going to, mm, I'm, I'm wavering between two guys, but I think ultimately I'm going to put my money on Tua. If I'm a betting gal and I'm going up to the window, I'm going to select Tua. And it's not, it's a small sample size of what I saw out of him, but Everything we've seen out of Joe Burrow, super impressive. However, what I saw out of Tua this past week shows me that, yes, had he not had that hip injury, he could have easily been the number one overall pick and probably would have. And when you couple that with what you're you're seeing out of Brian Flores, who, who's a guy who seems to know his identity and what he wants the identity of his team to be, isn't afraid to make the tough decision, has a defense on the other side of the ball that's going to help out Tua. It just seems like they're trending in the right direction. As much as I think Justin Herbert is the guy and the Chargers made, made a great decision selecting him, that team continues to lose in heartbreaking fashion. They're still a step away. And Joe Burrow and the Bengals, I don't know how much I trust that organization to find consistent success until they do it. I'm I'm not going to put my money on them. So I think I'm going with Tua. The reason that I don't go with Tua, it's twofold because of the injury. (laughs) Twofold. There you go. But I also really question that ownership in Stephen Ross. I don't believe that he is patient enough to see through a rebuild. He's given some guys some time, some, some bad coaches some time. But when you look at the turnover in their front office and the way he seems to meddle, I can't go with him because of the mediocrity of the Bengals. And they haven't been bad, by the way. They had a stretch where they went to five straight playoffs. Yeah. They, they're they just mediocre. But the Chargers have been to the playoffs half the time in the last 14 years. They've got tools and weapons around Herbert. They've got a good coach in Anthony Lynn. And it appears that they have an ownership that doesn't meddle. Tom Telesco is a pretty good GM. Lynn is a good coach. I'm going to go with Herbert because I think he's got the best surrounding environment to succeed. Okay, so we need to mark this down. And 10 years from now, we'll revisit these picks. Yeah, right. (laughs) So Justin Herbert of uh, the L.A. Chargers? Where else would they be, Randy? No, they're not going anywhere. 
There's nothing like free money. I was going to say, why would you ever break that stadium <laughs> deal if you were the Chargers? You don't want to do that. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. We've got a game of Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. We want your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Take it or leave it is coming your way with Michelle and Randy and Scott. And by the way, we would like to hear from you. If you would like to be involved with the fight, send your name and the word fight to 65780. That's our Air Comfort Service text line. And don't forget at 930, we're going to talk to Kyron Williams, the Viani product, Notre Dame running back. So that's appointment listening, 9.30 from number two Notre Dame, Kyron Williams. Coming off a big, big win versus Clemson. So it'll be fun to talk to him. Michelle, last night, as we know, the Patriots were able to rally and come away with a big 30-27 to win over the winless Jets. And this was Patriots quarterback Cam Newton after the game. I'm getting tired of sucking. Simple. Now, as a competitor, you know what your standard is and you know, taking pride in your work, that's what it comes down to. And, and, and you not being able to, you know, hold your head up because you're thinking too much, that's one thing. But at the same time, you're solely responsible for the performance that you put up. And I was extremely disappointed. And, you know, this is not like, you know, I just did my job today. And that's what it's supposed to be each and every week. Michelle, take it or leave it. You'd like to see more owners take that attitude of being tired of sucking. Take it. Of course, take it. I'm tired of sucking. I would like to see more owners, more managers, more head coaches, more athletes, Mm -hmm. more GMs. I would like to see more people in sports get to the podium and be that transparent. Me too. A lot of people, you know, you either love Cam or, or you don't. There's not a lot of middle ground there, but I always appreciate how transparent he is with his emotions. He's honest. Whether it's, I need to do better. Belichick wants me to hold on to the football. I've let him down. If I keep playing like this, I'm not going to be back next week. Uh, Walking off the podium right after the Super Bowl loss, a lot of people didn't like that. He wears his emotions on his sleeve. And this is a competitor. This is a guy that is tired of sucking. And I appreciate that out of him. I do, too. I appreciate the honesty. But if you have the ability to stop sucking and you're sucking, then just stop sucking. If you don't like it, play better. That's it. And by the way, last night, 27-35, no touchdowns, didn't throw any interceptions, though. And they did score 30 points, so I give them props for that. They won the game. Yeah, at the end of the day. The end of the day. At the end of the day, we need to stop sucking. Okay, Randy, I have one for you. So last segment, we talked about three young quarterbacks, Joe Burrow, Tua Tungvaloa, and Justin Herbert. And we had to each make our picks as to which quarterback we thought in 10 years was going to have a more successful career. Mm -hmm. I went with Tua, you went with Justin Herbert. So take it or leave it, Randy. The Chargers win a Super Bowl in L.A. before the Rams do. Ooh, this is a good one. And... I I will take that. The Rams are going to have massive cap issues with the contracts that they've given Aaron Donald and Jared Goff and now Jalen Ramsey. The Chargers are a much more balanced team. They are not trying to be spectacular. The Rams are trying to play to L.A. by having stars. But the NFL just doesn't work that way. So I'm going to go with the Chargers to win a Super Bowl before the Rams do. I thought about that during the commercial break. I thought if if Randy's 
prediction here is correct, and in 10 years, Justin Herbert out of this crew is the star, I wonder if they win a Super Bowl before the Rams. I would rather have, and not by a huge margin, but I would rather have Justin Herbert than Jared Goff. I would too. Even in, with the small sample size, I think I already trust him more than I trust I do too. Yep. And I bet the Rams, if you got them in a truthful moment, would agree that... Rams in a truthful moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> True. But I think that even when they signed Jared Goff to that big deal, even with him having taken them to a Super Bowl, that week in and week out, they probably still don't trust him a whole lot. I wouldn't. For $134 million, I'd hope I could, but I, I wouldn't. Gosh, so much money. It is. Can you... Imagine just getting one bad deal. Just just what, being good enough at your job that you get one bad quarterback deal. Or just one bad deal from somebody. Yeah. I mean, think about all the people in media that get paid millions yep. of dollars and they don't even do their shows. Randy, we need to get one bad deal. That's what we need. We need a bad contract. Somebody come after us with a bad contract offer. Yeah. Hit us <laughs> up in our DMs if you're out there. <laughs> Scotty, what do you got? 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. This one from the 636. Take it or leave it. Adam Wainwright will sign in free agency before Yadier Molina. I'm going to take that. I will too. He seems like a guy who would like to know where he's going to be and get in a routine. And I imagine he knows he probably has a better sense of what his options are mm-hmm. and That's where gonna he's be the key leaning. For me. I would think that those options are probably lesser as well for Adam. Seems like Atlanta or St. Louis probably is what it's going to come down to. Whereas Yachty can look at the White White Sox. I really don't think if the White Sox are going to go sign a pitcher, I don't think Adam is going to be their guy. I think they're going to probably go big like Trevor Bauer. Mm-hmm. So I, I would think that Yachty is going to have options here. Maybe the Angels, certainly the White Sox, maybe the Yankees. So I think he's going to have a diff- more difficult choice. From the 636, take it or leave it. If there is a new coach of the Jets in 2021, Trevor Lawrence should consider playing for them. I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it too. They're a train wreck. It's just an, a bad organizational identity. It's a bad yeah. culture there. Coach or not. I don't I don't put it all on Adam Gase. No, bad ownership. Bad ownership. I would not want to go there. It just seems so, cursed. What is it? A dumpster fire in a train wreck? What and a, hot, a hot mess? Uh, yeah, a hot mess in a dumpster. That, uh, hot mess wrapped in a dumpster fire wrapped in a train wreck? Right, that's it. Yeah, that's them. We're getting some text of some uh, bad deals. Kirk Cousins got like three deals. Matt Carpenter was a bad deal. Can you guys think of any other uh, bad deals off the top of your head? Uh, I think about all the money Sam Bradford made. Yeah, that was pretty bad. Uh, defensive tackle by the name of Albert Hainsworth signed a $100 million deal. Dollar deal with the Redskins. Didn't work out particularly well. So there's a lot of bad deals in sports. Oof, so many. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. This one from the six three six. Take it or leave it. The Blues win the division and come close to winning the President's Trophy with a new offensive-minded game plan. I'm gonna leave that. I will come take close? it. I'm gonna take it. You think they're gonna come close to winning the President's Trophy? Yeah, they're gonna be really good during the regular season. That's just true. They are. They're great. And even without Petro, they are gonna play a different style. They're gonna be dynamic offensively. And, yeah, they're going to have okay. a really good season. But they don't need to win the President's Trophy no. because they're going to win the Stanley Cup. They don't need to win the President's Trophy because that's bad luck. We, and we don't need that. We've had that. We've shaken that. Yeah. 
we don't need that anymore, right? Uh-uh. 6570 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Take It or Leave It. From the 323, Take It or Leave It, the Patriots will miss the playoffs here in 2020. Michelle, I don't know. I would have thought before last night, yes. But when you look at where they are now, especially if eight teams wind up making it from each conference, they are at the moment three and five, even with Denver. Let's see, the top eight are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I'm looking at their remaining schedule. Yeah. And they they do still have their division. They have the Ravens next, then the Texans, then the Cardinals, then the Chargers, Rams, Dolphins, Bills, and they close it out with the Jets. How many wins do you see in there? Maybe. I'm looking at maybe two. Texans, Jets. They've got three. They lose to the Ravens. Okay, so Texans are fourth win. Cardinals at home. Okay, they don't beat them. <laughs> no, they don't. At Chargers, no. At Rams, yes. Oh, you're giving them the Rams game. Uh, because Belichick just owns McVay. Okay. And Bel- that tree owns McVay. So that's four wins, Bills and Jets. So, no, you're right, five. They missed the playoffs. Yeah. 314, text in, take it or leave it. The Steelers have a better chance of going 16-0 than the Jets do 0-16. I don't know. That was the game for the taking last night for the Jets. And they didn't take it. Let's see if they have. You think they have a win on. It, obviously, look, yeah. they're not going to be favored anymore this season. So you've got a game at L.A. against the Chargers. You've got the Dolphins at home. You've got the Raiders. You've got at Seattle. At Browns. The they yeah, play that, the Browns. The Greg Williams Bowl. And then at the Patriots. I would, and you know what? I think the Steelers are going to lose to the Ravens. But I still like my chances of the Jets going over more. Or wait, say the question one more time. Take it or leave it. The Steelers have a better chance of going 16-0 than the Jets do 0-16. I think the be- the Jets have a better chance of going 0-16 because they're winnable games I'm looking at. Browns, maybe Patriots. That's at the end of the season if... You're a player and you're so banged up and you're tired and you're at the end of the season and you know what what your future is. I don't know that they're going to go out there and really rally around to beat the Browns. Especially if Adam Gase is still their coach because apparently he's not the most popular guy in that locker room. They're both going to be trying really hard. I would think the Jets will be trying harder to go 0-16 than the Steelers will to go 16-0. and if, if the Steelers are 13-0, 14-0, 15-0, they'll pretty much have everything wrapped up mm-hmm. in that conference. I would think the Jets will be trying harder to lose than the Steelers will to win. Because they have visions of Trevor Lawrence dancing in their heads? They will. <laughs> it might not happen for them, no. but they will. Thank you, Scotty. You got it. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. Coming up here on 101 ESPN, Justin Turner, not to be punished by Major League Baseball for going back on the field after the World Series. Did baseball finally get one right? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> It is 8.04 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler, Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, and great to have you with us. And it's time for today's fresh take. Michelle, we all remember at the end of the World Series, Justin Turner leaving the Dodgers locker room, even though he had been found to have COVID-19, he left to join the celebration. And 
Major League Baseball told him. They had people in the locker room saying, don't go out there, don't go out there. And he went out yes, uh, and did celebrate with his teammates. And yesterday, Major League Baseball said, he's not going to be punished. He's already served enough. Uh, he, he's sick. So we aren't going to punish him. How nice of Major League Baseball to do this. What was your reaction when you heard they weren't going to punish him? I was really surprised with as seriously as they took COVID-19 and the fact that they had an agreement with the Players Association that people could be punished for violating their protocols. I thought that they would do something and they didn't. Michael Wilbon said on Pardon the Interruption that he thought something was coming down the pike. I thought there was some punishment coming. And I thought baseball would look around and survey the scene and say, well, anybody has anybody on the field. Forget just the players. Anybody who was down there celebrating tested positive in the aftermath. And do they trace that somehow to Justin Turner? Apparently that hasn't happened, at least, you know, not yet. And it would have by now. But, Tony, I would have put him on probation. I would say, I believe your apology. I take you at your word. I believe you're contrite, but you're going to have to show me. Now, just tell me. Show me. 120 days. Let's see how this washes out before the first day of spring training. He did show some contrition, which Mm -hmm. is good. I get why he went out there, because it's going to be his only opportunity to do so. But I also think that there is something that baseball could have done to try to act as a deterrent against those, if we have COVID-19 at the beginning of next season, those that violate the rules. Because now, with him not being punished, why, if you don't want to abide by baseball's rules regarding the virus, why would you? When precedent has been set that if you do violate them, you're not going to be punished. Yeah, I was floored, actually, that they didn't take even an ounce of action here for that specific reason, especially from an an organization in Major League Baseball that had their season hanging by a piece of dental floss at one point when you had two teams with massive COVID outbreaks and the Marlins and the Cardinals, and you didn't know how this was going to impact the schedule, if you were even going to be able to continue the season because of this virus. So to have a guy who, despite being told to stay isolated from his team, completely disobeys that, goes out there and is without a mask... And you're Major League Baseball and you're not going to punish him at all for that? Especially after Rob Manfred had suspended Joe Kelly for throwing at the Astros. And your main reason to do that is to protect the health and safety of players regardless of what they have done. Well, it it doesn't make sense for me. If if protecting the players from a health and safety standpoint is going to apply and for pitchers not throwing at them, then it also needs to apply for a guy who very blatantly... um, disobeys what is being asked of him when he knows he's tested positive for COVID regardless of the circumstances. Two points from Manfred's statement about Justin Turner. Number one, during the somewhat chaotic situation on the field, Turner was incorrectly told by an unidentified person that other players had tested positive, creating the impression in Mr. Turner's mind that he was being singled out for isolation. And Manfred also wrote, Mr. Turner has publicly recognized that his conduct was wrong and has expressed remorse for that conduct. I have spoken to him personally, and I know that he is extraordinarily upset by the incident. By all accounts, Justin is a leader in the clubhouse, a contributor to his community, and a responsible person who was instrumental in the Dodgers diligently following the health protocols all season long. So 
he gets off. And for that reason, I think the Cardinals should sign him. Can I can I give you the translator from that statement? Yeah. Uh, the World Series had ended. Nobody tested positive. We got our money. We're hoping this dies down. Yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> Breathe a sigh of relief. No harm, no foul. Seriously, I think that they don't want to punish him because they don't want people to continue to talk about it. They just want this to die away. That makes sense. One other, other note about what's going on right now with COVID-19, Michelle, is that a lot of teams are missing games in college football because of multiple players that are suffering from the virus. Look at a team like Wisconsin. If they miss another game, they will be out of the hunt for a national championship. But we know they're good. They've only played one game. But if you are the committee and you've seen Wisconsin play six times, is that enough of a a palette for you have you seen enough of wisconsin in six games if they go five and one to make you think okay they might be better than a two-loss florida or something or if clemson would lose in the acc Mm -hmm. championship game how could you say wisconsin is better than clemson even though a a two-loss team has never played in the final four wouldn't a Clemson team that is nine and two with two losses to Notre Dame be more impressive than anything that Wisconsin could put together in six games? Have I seen enough from them at that that point if I'm the committee? Probably not. But can I hold the what their restrictions have been because of the positive test against them? Also, no. So they're stuck in a really difficult place because they probably have more of a body of work from other teams and would feel more comfortable putting other teams in that conversation. But you also can't hold it against them, hold these positive COVID tests against them because it is on the injury list. It's part of the rules. Here's the big X factor is that Wisconsin could very easily go Mm -hmm. 6-0. That is before the Big Ten championship game. But they've got Michigan this week. Then they're at Northwestern. They have Minnesota at home. They take on Indiana. And by the way, Indiana is 10th in the country right now. And then they're at Iowa to finish up. They could finish the season with impressive wins against Northwestern, number 23, Indiana. And then if you go to Iowa and win, that's quite an accomplishment. But again, if they if their only loss is to Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game, I think that it's really hard to evaluate them when they haven't played a full schedule. By the way, just to give you an idea, the games that were canceled that Wisconsin was supposed to play were against Nebraska and Purdue, which might have been wins anyway. They might have been undefeated heading into the Big Ten championship game. Do you think if Clemson lost in the ACC championship game that they would still make the playoff? I think it would be hard because there has never been a two-loss team that's played in the Final Four. I just wonder how much the conversation then shifts to this double overtime loss versus Notre Dame without Trevor Lawrence. And if people mm-hmm. really want to give that as much weight as they, they do right now, because people want to see Clemson and Trevor Lawrence in the playoffs. Right. So but if, how much if do Notre they... Dame beats them again, doesn't it legitimize that loss? It does, but I think people will want to rationalize it a little bit more, saying if Trevor Lawrence was on the team, there's no way they would have lost to Notre Dame twice. People want to see them in that position, so they're going to try to rationalize it. And you're going to have Alabama in there, likely. You're going to probably, if Notre Dame beats them in the ACC championship game, Notre Dame will be in the Final Four. Mm -hmm. And Ohio State probably has a clear path to get to the Final Four. Then you would be looking at a two-loss Clemson, perhaps a... An A&M team with one loss that doesn't play for their conference championship game and did get throttled by Alabama. 
Florida might have their loss for the season, although they would have to play in the SEC championship game. Then you've got your group of five teams that are undefeated, Cincinnati and BYU. I think you could have a real mess on your hands. And by the way, Wisconsin and Indiana could really cause more chaos. <laughs> what? C-H-A-O-S, chaos. Chaos. Right? Mm-hmm. Isn't that what? Isn't that how it's said? I don't know. But don't they have a mess on their hands every year, though? Yeah, but this year is particularly fun. It is fun. The mess is fun. That's great. Those are your, uh, that is your fresh take here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to talk to lead draft analyst from Pro Football Focus. Mike Renner is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. We go now to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and Mike Renner is the lead draft analyst for Pro Football Focus. The Notre Dame grad is happy and joins us on 101 ESPN. Mike, thanks so much for taking some time with us. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Well, first of all, we're going to have Kyron Williams on the show later. He's a St. Louis guy, and as the lead draft analyst for Pro Football Focus, you must know about Kyron. What do you think so far? Man, he had himself a day this past Saturday. Uh, again, what I noticed most is pass protection. He was doing really well in that regard, which that, that actually moves the needle for a lot of NFL teams when you're talking about drafting a guy, uh, you know, day three. If they can pass protect, you can make a roster in the NFL. Mike, we also want to ask you about the outcome of the game. How was that? What was that like for you to watch Notre Dame upset Clemson? Oh, it was awesome. I mean, that was probably since you know I went to Notre Dame starting 2008, and they just haven't had to win quite like that in the time that I've been a Notre Dame fan. So uh, that one was special, and obviously it's going to come with an asterisk without Trevor Lawrence, but I think they'll see him again in the AC championship game and hopefully do it again. What do you think it is? What makes this Notre Dame team, and Brian Kelly's done a great job. He's recruited a lot of really good players that have succeeded in the NFL. So what makes this team different? I think it's they finally have athletes on defense. They have been, you know, in the Brian Kelly era, they've been known for what they can do offensively and getting guys like, you know, Chase Claypool and offensive weapons and offensive linemen in the NFL, but never really had impact players on defense. But I think this team with Jeremiah Wusukaromo, you saw him with, you know, the fumble touchdown return. He's probably going to be a top 20 pick next year. Kyle Hamilton, the safety He's only a true sophomore, but he's going to be a top 20 pick whenever he does come out. So I think for the first time in a long time, they actually have guys on that side of the ball that are real deal NFL type of players and NFL athletes. Okay, Mike, we had this conversation earlier in the show. We want to bring you into it. So out of these three young quarterbacks, which do you think is going to have the better career based on the small sample size that we have already? Is it Joe Burrow, Tua Tunga-Vailoa, or Justin Herbert? Who do you have the most confidence in out of those three guys? I'm going to go back to the pre-draft eval, and that was Joe Burrow was far and away my quarterback one in that draft class. Uh, Now they've all looked very impressive as rookies. I, I did not expect all three of them to hit the ground running as well as they have because they just went to bad situations. Like none of those guys have an offensive line at all uh, pass blocking for them, but they've all played really well so far, but I'll stick with Burrow because his accuracy, his ball placement, even compared to those two guys who are, who have been good in their own right is just on another level. That guy can put it 
pretty much wherever he wants to. And I think that's, that's the most important thing uh, still on an NFL football field is not missing throws. If the Dolphins can hit on some of these picks that they have, their own and Houston's, they can really acquire some surrounding talent for Tua as well. They, they can put him in a great situation if they hit on these draft choices. Yeah, they they kind of look like, at the moment, the sort of blueprint for a rebuild and that, you know, they acquired as many draft picks as they could banking on the fact that they're going to have a ton of young talent all coming together at once. And then they sign, you know, valuable positions. They sign, go out and sign a cornerback in Byron Jones. They re-sign their own cornerback in Xavier Howard. They make sure to you know, hold on to the positions that are difficult to find quality players at, uh, and then fill out the roster with a bunch of young talent. So they have a bunch of cap flexibility, a bunch of draft picks. They look poised to, uh, you know, overtake kind of the Patriots as the preeminent team in the AFC East. Speaking of the Patriots, Mike, do you think they're a playoff team? Oh, God, no. Not <laughs> at this point. That, that defense is too old. Cam Newton is not the Cam Newton that won an MVP in 2015. This team is just its too flawed of a roster at this point for even, you know, Belichick to overcome. Even if they would get their guys that opted out back, and a lot of those guys are going to be in their mid-30s as defensive players. Are they a couple of years away from having a pretty solid roster again? Yeah, honestly, that's the thing, is that they got old very quickly. All those impact players that made the defense so great last year, like the McCourty brothers are 33 now. Stephon Gilmore's 30. They're not getting better. You're only getting worse at that point. And yeah, if you look, the biggest thing is you look at their past three or four drafts and there's just not an impact player since, you know, Trey flowers when they drafted him and he's gone now, he lost the free agency. They just have not really been hitting on draft picks. And that's the lifeblood of any roster, especially when, uh, you know, you're a team like the Patriots and you're kind of not in great salary cap position where you can't add it through free agency. So the fact that it's having on draft picks, like I said, they're probably at least two years away from really being back to the Patriots that we saw in the years past. Uh, Mike, you had a great piece at Pro Football Focus on Daniel Jones. You really assessed his body of work and outlined how it's hard to drill in and find a significant area of improvement in his game. So what do you think? Are the Giants ready to give up on him? Should they take a quarterback in the 2021 draft? I think that's the scary thing is they're not ready to give up on him. I think they still believe in him. Every sort of report that comes out from Joe judge or Dave Gettleman is that they fully support him and that they just need, he needs to have a better situation around him. And the scary thing is how long are you going to keep saying that? You know, it it is objectively not a great situation, but I think they do have quality wide receivers. They have guys that can get open and there's still, you know, you could evaluate the the two point conversion that he threw behind with a Deion Lewis was a bad play. Like he has made, and he threw a pick against the Bucks that same game earlier on that drive that should have been picked off went right into a linebacker's chest. Like there are plays that he makes that have nothing to do with the town around him consistently uh, at this point where I think you can say as an outside observer, enough is enough. Now they might be too close to him. Dave Gettleman's obviously his job is very much tied to the success of Daniel Jones. But I think in today's NFL, the worst thing you can do is put yourself in a Bears-esque Mitch Trubisky situation where you're just tied to this guy and he's weighing you down for years and years to come. Mike Renner of Pro Football Focus with us on 101 ESPN. And Mike, I want to stay in the NFC East and you use the term enough is enough. You retweeted a story about Carson Wentz. When is enough enough for Carson Wentz and with Carson Wentz in Philly? 
That's the tough one because, you know, they did draft Jalen Hurts in the second round. They obviously are worried about whether it's, you know, Carson Wentz not being able to stay healthy, never, you know, making it through a season to the playoffs or whatnot. But I do think the injuries or something has caught up to him at this point. That's not the same guy we saw. It's not similar to Cam Newton where it's just it's a different player altogether at this point after back and knee injuries. Sometimes you're not the same guy, and it's not only just decision-making. It's he is not accurate with the football anymore. And so I think with his contract situation and all that, you're not benching him. You're not going to get rid of him this season. You're still leading the NFC East. But I think after this year, you have to seriously consider if this is what the guy you see the whole year, if he really is going to be part of your future plans. Because if this is what he looks like for the rest of 2020, I'm – I'm going elsewhere. I'm going Jalen Hurts or I'm looking in the draft. You know, that's what happened here with Bradford because they just kept hoping and hoping that he could overcome the injuries, and obviously he never did, and same thing happened in Philly and ultimately in Minnesota. Sometimes you just have to recognize that, hey, this guy's never going to be consistently healthy for you. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest takeaway from watching Wentz this year is that the injuries have caught up to him. Like, there's no, I don't think there's any going back to the guy he was before. Now, and some of the decisions can clean up and you can get some better talent around him, but it's not like it's not like they have an awful offensive line. It's not like they have awful, awful receivers. Like there's still enough to work if he was the guy he was before and he's just not. I want to ask you about one more quarterback, Mike, and that's another St. Louis product in Drew Locke. The assessments of him are all over the board. Sometimes people think he can be the guy and maybe the Broncos haven't put enough around him. Other times people are not so sure he's the answer in Denver. So what's your evaluation of Drew Locke up to this point? Yeah, the consistency aspect just isn't there to me. And the making good decisions with the football, playing winning football, uh, you know, not, not, uh, not throwing those YOLO balls. And that's kind of what he's been known for going back to Missouri is just, uh, you know, when things start to break down, he's heaving it up. And I just don't think you've seen the development from year one to year two. Now you did get hurt, but I'm still kind of, I think there's a reason why he fell to the second round. I think we're kind of seeing that with him where there's just not that polish uh, that you'd like to see from a franchise quarterback. Like him and Justin Herbert are very similarly talented, I'd say, quarterbacks in terms of what they bring to the table. Justin Herbert just looks a lot more polished in terms of going through reads and getting to his guys on time, whereas Drew Locke still kind of has that gunslingeriness to his game where he's not really playing within the timing of the offense. Hey, Mike, before we let you go, Michelle has been a devotee of The Bachelorette <laughs> for years, and she she does research on our guests. So she's aware of, of your history and your past. Can you give us just a little tidbit? How how real are those shows that we watch every week? Okay, so pretty much anything you'll see on TV, you were put in a situation to, like, to, to not to, they don't tell you what to say, but they say, "Hey, sit here with them and talk about X." So it's it's you still have free will to a degree, but you're not. This isn't really just a camera following a few people around the house. They're, it's a setup, uh, sort of produced show. Mike, do you watch the show? So I used to, and I actually haven't gone on. And then seeing kind of the behind the scenes and all the people. I do, it's not as interesting to me anymore because I know when there's like this, you know, you, you like those kind of cringeworthy moments where someone does something really dumb 
I know having seen behind the scenes that those guys are kind of, they're self-selecting for guys who maybe aren't smartest and maybe that they can influence to do some dumb things. So I kind of just, kind of just turned me off a little bit from it. Was it, when you did it though, was it fun? Actually being there was not fun. There's not much to do until, until you're actually on like a date. You're just kind of sitting around a house. Like I was sitting in a hot tub for like eight hours one day (laughs) because you can't watch TV. You can't go on the internet. So yeah, it's, it's, it was kind of boring being there, but it was a fun experience on the whole. So you couldn't watch football or do any sort of, of work on football the entire time you were there? No, it was during free agency, actually. And I'm, I'm like asking producers for updates on like where a guy <laughs> signed. I'm like, where did Josh sit and go? And they're like, uh, who? Uh, yeah, so I know, right? <laughs> well, we're glad you made it to, to Pro Football Focus. You're doing great work. Thanks so much for the time. We enjoy having you on and we'll do it again soon. For sure. Thanks so much for having me. Have a good one. You too, Mike. Mike Renner, Pro Football Focus on 101 ESPN. What an interesting background. Notre Dame and uh, The Bachelorette. You never know what you're going to get in somebody. You know, I've only watched The Bachelor or Bachelorette two seasons. One time we had to watch it at work at ESPN. Mm -hmm. We didn't have to, but they're so into it up at ESPN because ESPN and ABC have the ties with Disney. Mel Kuyper had a Bachelor, Bachelorette fantasy big board that that he would do. (laughs) People were obsessed. So one time we watched it because Aaron Rodgers' brother, Jordan Rodgers, was on it, and we thought it might be funny content. So I watched that one, and then I watched the following season after that. But it was hard for me to get into. And it's not a surprise that it's not really real. No, most good shows are produced well. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Like this one. Thank you, Scotty. Coming up, we've got The Fight, a returning fighter on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to The Fight on Carriker and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king. Welcome back to Character and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. It's 836 and it's time for the fight. And we have a great fight on deck today. Joe is with us and Joe beat Randy yesterday. So he's coming back again to challenge Randy and he's one step closer to being in the Fight Hall of Fame. Now, Joe, yesterday you gave your wife a birthday shout out, your wife Kristen. How did that go over when you got home yesterday? Because not only did you get the, the birthday shout out, but you got the victory. It was great. I uh, I think I walked around the neighborhood for hours yesterday just strutting my stuff. <laughs> Peacocking a little bit? That's right. Okay, well, let's see if you can take down Randy again today. Question number one for you, Joe. When Cam Newton was the quarterback at Auburn, which team did Auburn beat in the 2011 National Championship game? Was it Texas, Notre Dame, or Oregon? Oregon. Question number two, Joe. Who is the all-time scoring leader in Billiken's men's basketball history? Is it Anthony Bonner, Scott Highmark, or Roland Gray? I'll go with Scott Highmark. And can I, can I change my first one to Notre Dame? Yes. Is that possible? Yes, you, you are allowed to do that. Okay. Question number three for you, Joe. How many times has Tiger Woods won the Masters? Three, four, or five? Go with four. And final question for you, Joe. Who was the head coach of the New England Patriots prior to Bill Belichick taking over? Was it Pete Carroll, Bill Parcells, or Charlie Weiss? 
Oh, man. Let's go build ourselves. Okay, we're checking our score here. So, Joe, take me through the thought process. Why did you want to go back and change your answer for question number one? You picked Oregon, and then you felt Notre Dame. Uh, it was something about... It's, uh, well, I don't I don't remember the uh, the name of, a, of the phantom girlfriend, but I just feel like that all happened around the same time. Oh, man, oh, I like tell you. Kakua is who you're <laughs> yeah. talking about. I don't know why. I can't remember anything, but I will never forget. Lene, right, Randy? Lene Kukua? Lene Kukua. That there was right. Yeah. I, I told you on the phone, Joe. Michelle's got a great memory. <laughs> Lene Kukua. That is, that is crazy. I just remember that story being so... That was, was the first great. time we heard about catfishing, really. People could right. not wrap their heads around the fact that he had a fake girlfriend, and he didn't know it was fake. Everybody thought that he was in on it. Then it wound up being yeah, a man. Yeah. <laughs> Poor guy. Poor guy, indeed. All right, Randy. Joe is with you again today. Say hello again. Hi, Joe. Joe welcome officially. back. Thanks, Randy. All right, Randy. Question number one. Yes. When Cam Newton was the quarterback at Auburn, which team did Auburn beat in the 2011 National Championship game? I believe they beat the Oregon Ducks. Question number two, Randy. Who is the all-time scoring leader in Billiken's men's basketball history? Anthony Bonner. Randy, how many times has Tiger Woods won the Masters? Five. Just knowing him, right? Right. Just the same Immediately. cadence every time. This is just game two right now for Randy. Uh, question number four, Randy. Uh, who was the head coach of the New England Patriots prior to Bill Belichick taking over? I, I think it was Pete Carroll. Let's see. He was there for two years. And I believe, yeah, that was 98-99. I am going to go with Pete Carroll. We have got a winner. Go crazy, folks! Go crazy! We have a winner and still champion, Randy Carricker! Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs. Sorry, Joe. Randy was in the zone. And when Randy is in the zone, no one can stop him. He beat you four... I wore two pairs of pants for this for this butt whooping today. So. <laughs> Hopefully, it padded it a little bit. But he he did beat you four to nothing, and you should have stuck with your original answer on question number one. So when Camden was the quarterback at Auburn, um, Auburn did beat Oregon in that 2011 national championship game. They won the game 22 to 19. Anthony Bonner is the all-time scoring leader in SLU Bilkins men's basketball history with 1,972 points. Tiger Woods has won the Masters five times. 97, 2001, 2002, 05, and of course, 2019. And Pete Carroll was the head coach of the New England Patriots prior to Bill Belichick taking over in 1999. Joe, even though you lost today, great effort. Thank you so much for playing. Thank you all. Thank you very much, Joe. Great to have you with us here on 101 ESPN. Good run by Joe. You were in the zone. You would not be denied today. No. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't even have to think about it until the very end. It was just five. Anthony Bonner. He was kind of bell checking of you. We're on to since we're on to question three. <laughs> we're on to I question felt. four. <laughs> so hey, the Billikens are gonna have a season this year. And yesterday it struck me when we got word that Gonzaga had been voted number one in the preseason AP poll. And many people have wondered over the years, why can't SLU be the Gonzaga of the Midwest? We'll tell you why they can next on 101 ES. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. 
The Gonzaga Bulldogs are the preseason number one in college basketball, Michelle. Sorry, it's not the Illini. Hey, were they ranked eighth? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. They're I'll take be it. really good. But Gonzaga has always intrigued me and a lot of Billiken fans because of their similarities to St. Louis University. Both Jesuit schools, both in somewhat urban areas. Uh, the Gonzaga is the Gonzaga campus is in Spokane outside of Seattle. Gonzaga has 7,566 students at the moment, 5,320 undergrads. SLU has 12,500, so about 5,000 more students, and about 2,700 more undergrads that are on campus. Both non-football schools with predominantly basketball conferences. The West Coast Conference is basically the West Coast version of the A-10. And it seems to me, Michelle, as if... St. Louis University, which now has made a real strong commitment to basketball, could be the Midwest version of what Gonzaga has become. I don't see a reason why SLU can't be consistently great. Yeah, the similarities are certainly there. And Travis Ford has this program in a great position to become the Gonzaga of the Midwest or the next Gonzaga because of those similarities. My question to you, though, is can any program change the way they're viewed now in college basketball. And hear me out. When Gonzaga started this run in 1999, college basketball was still one of the preeminent sports viewing appointments. People watched college basketball all the time. People Mm -hmm. loved college basketball. And now whether it's just it doesn't have the same sizzle as it used to. There's two things that you really look for when you watch college basketball. You watch the tournament every year. That's certainly appointment viewing. And you watch for future NBA stars like Zion. You you don't watch and consume college basketball the same way that you used to. So I wonder if any program, even if they're consistently great, can be a big name anymore if they're not one of these blue blood teams. I believe that a school like St. Louis, you can, but it has to be the right approach. And you can't be expecting to go out and get the Zion Williamses. You have to build like Gonzaga did, like Michigan State, like SLU did under Rick Majerus. And I believe, like Travis Ford has right now, you have to have a couple of really good seniors, a couple of really good juniors, Mm -hmm. a couple of really good sophomores, and a couple of really good freshmen. You have to be able to stagger the quality of your players. You can't have a group of five seniors in when you're a school like SLU and expect that you're going to be consistently great. And it seems like... and. There have been some bumps in the road, uh, Cartier Gordon leaving, a couple oh, yeah. of other schools, uh, that, or other players that SLU has had that just didn't work out that would have given Ford the ability earlier to stagger his classes. But if he can do that and if he can keep kids in school, I think that they can be a tournament team every year, and that's what we're gearing for. Gonzaga, 21 consecutive NCAA tournaments, four Elite Eights, and a national final. In this conference, and with... The basketball players that are coming out of the St. Louis mm-hmm. area, I really think that they can do it if everything converges in the right way. It's not going to be easy, but I do think that they can be, if not the Gonzaga of the Midwest, pretty close to that. Do you worry then that they get on this run or they start to build something and then you have to worry about Travis Ford potentially getting poached to go somewhere else? That's why I always talk about commitment because Gonzaga has been able to keep Mark Few around and Blue Bloods have come knocking on his door and he says, no, this is where I want to be. I love this place. And if you're slew, the administration needs to make it so attractive that Travis Ford doesn't want to leave. And now when you walk into a Blue Blood program, 
there's a 50 50 chance it's not going to work out for you. Sure. If, if I'm Ford and I'm making a bunch of money at SLU and going to the tournament every year, I could make a bunch of money and go to the tournament five years out of seven at Arkansas and get fired. That already happened to him at Oklahoma State. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was in the Big 12 going to the NCAA tournament. All of a sudden they don't, and he gets whacked. I think. If I were in a coach's shoes, while, yes, I would want to have that opportunity to coach a blue blood, I wouldn't want to go to a place where there was a chance that if I have one off year, I would get fired. Or if I don't, if I go to the tournament every year and don't win a championship, that's not fair, but that happens all the time. All the time. And you also have to balance potentially these star players coming in and leaving after a year, and then you're rebooting Mm -hmm. and you're reshaping, whereas now you have a great balance of veteran guys and young players on your team, and you can just plug and play as you go. And what's happened now, with Gonzaga making it to a national championship game, with Butler making it to a national championship game, we've been shown that the mid-major can compete with anybody. Wichita State, you see Loyola going to a Final Four. There are so many programs mid-major type programs that have ascended to that level now that you have to believe that it's real, that this isn't just a flash in the pan, that it's not always going to be the Dukes and North Carolinas and Kentuckys and uh, Michigans and Ohio States of the world, that there is a place, unlike football, for the mid-major basketball team to succeed. I was saying earlier, there's no way Cincinnati and BYU make it to the Final Four. They can go undefeated, and there's no way Mm -hmm. because the Power Five owns the college football playoff. Well, the NCAA, such as it is right now, owns the NCAA tournament, so everybody does have a reasonable shot to succeed in basketball. And that's why the tournament is so great yep. and why it's madness, because you have a Butler go on a run. You have a Loyola Chicago go on a run. You have Gonzaga in the mix. And it's not just Duke and North Carolina like it's Clemson and Alabama every single time, even though they're usually there. They can't get upset. And I do think it's cool, and I'm not saying this just to be sarcastic, but Illinois had a lot of down years. Oh, but, yeah. But to find your way back to the top 10 and had a really good shot last year at doing great things in the tournament, Mizzou has the same opportunity. You can fall off in basketball and rebound much more quickly than you can in football. Rebound to being good again. And I know it's been a building process for Brad Underwood, but they have a chance now to be the sort of program they were when you went to school there or in the 80s. But th- think about the fact that they were in the national championship game in 2005. Yes, they've had some tournament appearances here and there, but that was a long time ago, a long time ago. And now, obviously, the pandemic stopped their chances last year for uh, a good tournament run, but they really have a shot this year to be really good. But when you look back and think, wow, that was 2005, the last time they were in a national championship game, it makes what these other teams, like a Duke or mm-hmm. a North Carolina, and, and yes, they have great lineage, great coach, most one-and-done players want to go there. I understand all th- all those things. But still, to maintain that si- consistent success is not easy. I'm going to try to look here. When do you think the last time, just as an example, Kentucky has played in an NCAA championship game has been? I'll bet you it's been a while. Let's see. For them. Uh, 2012? I think that's the last time they played in a championship game. It's been a while. It's been a minute for Coach Cal. Is that right? I think I'm right. <laughs> I'm trying to look at it. I want to get back to SLU for a moment because under Travis Ford, they've increased their win total in each year. 
as, as he heads into year five here. Had 23 wins last year. Had a chance to win more before the A-10 tournament. So it appears as if the trajectory for St. Louis University is where, as a Billiken fan or a Billiken booster or a Billiken grad, you'd want it to be. They're getting better and better and better. This is not going to be a situation like Mizzou was when they they went to the tournament with the Porter brothers. It's not going to be a situation with SLU where, okay, it happens and then all of a sudden they're going to fall off. I have every confidence that Travis Ford has built a program here rather than just a team for a year. That's right. It's a culture, right? Definitely. It's different. Sometimes I, I think back to Michael Porter Jr. at Mizzou and what that could have done for Conzo and the Tigers if he was healthy that season. You just think back to what that could have been, just one year of him playing at an elite level and what it would have done for that program. It was devastating. Devastating. And I don't know that Conzo is going to survive that because he hasn't been able to get to that level again with his recruiting, certainly, but their performance on the court. And while he has struggled since the Porters left, the SEC keeps getting better and better and better. They hire new high-priced coaches and... I just don't see a way, again, quickly for Mizzou to rebound. If they keep Conzo around and give him the opportunity to build like Ford has at SLU, they can be fine. But this is not a situation where there's going to be any more Michael Porter Juniors walking through the door. (laughs) No, probably not. Okay, so Kentucky wins in 2012, and then it was Louisville and Michigan. They were in, in 2014 when they lost to UConn. So 14 was the last time. So 15, 16, 17, 18, four seasons, uh, 19, and then last year. So it's been five seasons and six years since Coach Cal has been in a championship game. Not that they're, well, they're probably complaining. Not that I would complain if I had that much success, but I'm sure in Kentucky they are. Oh, I'm sure they are. What else are they going to complain about? So go Billikens. Oh, by the way, Bulletin, apparently official. Uh, in the A-10 preseason poll, St. Louis U picked to finish second behind Richmond. Billikens received seven first-place votes. Richmond received 19. So congratulations to the Spiders. And uh, you're going to miss out. They're, you're going to be squashed like a spider under a shoe by, by the Billiken. Are you afraid of spiders? No, I'm not. Not even big tarantulas? No, I'm afraid of snakes. Oh, yeah, of course. But not spiders. I don't know. If you've ever seen a big spider... Pop out of a cabinet or something? Now, if I get one put on my face, like Harry in Home Alone, then it might be different. But I've never had one on my face. No, me either. And let's hope that never happens. Yeah. And then Marv hits him with a crowbar. Ow. Those two really went through a lot. It's amazing they survived. It was a rough night. It really is amazing. And then they wind up going to jail for all of that, all that trouble. You'd never be the white wet bandits, though. If if you're a good burglar, you don't leave clues like that. What about the sticky bandits? No, even worse. <laughs> even worse. Yeah, think about that. You have to spend, How much time do you think it took for them to wrap their hands in the duct tape, to stick it in and get, what, 36 cents? Yeah, not worth it. Not worth it. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And coming up, today's big thing. Can Dylan Carlson be a middle-of-the-order bat for the Cardinals? Can he be that guy? And Yes, ma'am. And we have some breaking news that from the NFL, big-time breaking news that we're going to tell you about oh, next. Bulletin, apparently official, coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Randy, some big NFL news coming down the pipeline here. 
The Steelers have announced that they have placed quarterback Ben Roethlisberger on the reserve COVID-19 list. Wow. Do we know if he's contracted or does contact tracing have him around somebody? We, we don't, don't know yet. We don't know the details. Steelers have just announced that he is one of several players. I think there was three others that were placed on the COVID-19 list. They have the Bengals this week. I don't know if Mason Rudolph is capable of beating the Bengals. By the way, the game is in Pittsburgh. Not that that matters in 2020 because there are no fans. They also have Joshua Dobbs. They got him back from Jacksonville. But Rudolph would be their quarterback against Cincinnati. They'd have to go back to playing Steeler football and hand it off to their running backs and keep the number of passing attempts down. And then hopefully for them, they would be able to get Big Ben back before they would uh, have to play another game. And their next game after that is at Jacksonville. So you can really go 2-0 without Big Ben. But then the third game would be against the Ravens on Thanksgiving night. Mm. So you want to have him back for that one for sure. Here's the full list of players that the Steelers have placed on the COVID-19 list. Obviously, quarterback Ben Roethlisberger, as we mentioned. Offensive lineman Gerald Hawkins, running back Jalen Samuels, and linebacker Vince Williams. Hmm. Okay. So I I think that they can get by without uh, those guys against the Bengals, against the Jags. But you can't go too far down the line because it's like driving on a car with a spare tire. That spare tire isn't built to last for a long time. And that's why guys are backups because they aren't as good as your starters. And you just hope that they're not experiencing severe symptoms and that there's not many more positive tests that pop up. Now, Tom Pelissero of NFL Network reporting that Big Ben and the three teammates were deemed to have high-risk close contact with tight end Vance McDonald on Sunday. They're eligible to return to the facility Saturday, provided they test negative and have no symptoms. Pittsburgh hosts the Bengals on Sunday. So, theoretically, they could have Big Ben back with without any practice this week for the game against the Bengals. But they beat the Bengals all the time anyway, don't they? <laughs> That's right. They don't really need Big Ben. But it'd be nice to have him. Yeah, it would. Coming up on 907, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle, we saw Dylan Carlson down the stretch and in the postseason series against the Padres have success as the Cardinal number four hitter. Is that an ideal scenario for the Cardinals? No. Could he? Would he be better than the other options as a number four hitter for the Cardinals? Yes. But my hope would be that ultimately he winds up as your number two or three hitter. Mm -hmm. When he is the best player on your team, which you expect him to be eventually, when Goldschmidt isn't around or in the latter years of Goldschmidt's contract, my hope would be that Dylan Carlson would wind up as your number two or three hitter. But that means they're going to have to come up with some middle-of-the-lineup bats to hit behind him too. Yeah, you hope that they're going to put him in a position to have great success and that he's, yeah, protected in the lineup and has some great guys around him. But I I wonder what his ETA to greatness is or to just being a consistent force for the team. Do you put it on him by the end of this season in 2021? Is it halfway through? What's your realistic projection for him to even be somebody that you can write in Sharpie every day and really count on? My plan would be to play him all the time and get him reps and have him continue to ascend in a regular season throughout the course of the season. And when you hit the playoffs in 2021, hopefully you make the playoffs, then he is your number two or three hitter and doing dynamic things on a daily basis. I would hope by the end of 2021, because he was supposed to play last year. He was supposed to come up Mm -hmm. during the season, maybe after the first week of 2020. So... If he doesn't perform well, 
at the outset of 2021, I'll be really disappointed. I will too. But I, I keep thinking about the state of this offense and how you've seen so many players not evolve. And I wonder how that's going to have an impact on him or, or if our expectations should be altered. Because when you look at this offense, we don't have high expectations for the offense as a whole. So it seems like the expectations we have for Dylan Carlson don't match what we have for the team. Here's the unfortunate aspect that we have is that the Cardinals are supposed to be much better talent evaluators than we are. And to this point recently, they haven't. Obviously, when you look at the Arizona Rainer trade, that doesn't look very good right now. But the players that we have expected the Cardinals would develop and turn into key contributors have not been that great. Paul DeYoung, been a nice player, but he's been far from great. You, you don't win a World Series with Paul DeYoung hitting fourth for you. Paul DeYoung's a number six or seven hitter in a good lineup. Uh, Carpenter reached a really high level, but how did they evaluate him? They gave him the contract extension, and then he just fell off the cliff. Colton Wong was never what we expected him to be, and now he's gone. Obviously, Carson Kelly hasn't turned out. They, the Cardinals thought Carson Kelly was going to be a star, mm-hmm. and he hasn't turned out to be that guy. So they need to be better at evaluating, and the, the problem I guess I have personally is that I still have a level of trust, not only in them, but in people around baseball that have Dylan Carlson right now rated as the 14th best prospect in the game. Now it's incumbent upon the Cardinals to make sure that he is able to achieve that level through their development of him. And that's where the uncertainty comes in for me. When the question is, do you believe that Carlson can be a middle of the order bat for the Cardinals, one that they need? Sure, but is he going to get the right development with this team? Is that development in any way going to be stagnated because of what happens with the offense? Because all we've been told about this Cardinals offense is, well, it takes time. It's going to take time to develop. Okay, well, how much time? And how much is that going to impact somebody like Dylan Carlson and what his development's going to be? His development will be enhanced by the Cardinals getting other good hitters. That's why... If I were given the opportunity, if I'm Mo and Gersh and DeWitt, and I have $20 million to spend, I'm not going to have Wainwright, I'm not going to have Molina. That was 25 last year. I'll cut my payroll even a little bit. Or, or I'll spend that $25. i will have the exact same payroll as last year, which probably is unrealistic. But I'm going to try to get Peterson and Turner because I think you really enhance Carlson's chances of being good if you hit him second, like Chris Duncan did when he hit ahead of Albert Pujols or any hitter did ahead of Albert Pujols when the Cardinals were rolling, any slumping hitter. Jim Edmonds put in the two-hole ahead of Pujols. You put Carlson there, teams are going to be less likely to work around or walk Dylan Carlson when a guy like Goldschmidt is hitting third and a guy like Turner is hitting fourth and a guy like Peterson is hitting fifth. That's just the reality of the way pitchers operate. So if I were the Cardinals, part of what I would try to do to enhance the development of Carlson is get better players around him. Seems pretty simple. You need you need more good dudes. Yeah, there you go. As Boog Shoppy yeah. said. And we're all good now with because if Rob Manfred's good with Justin Turner, we're good with Justin Turner, right? Oh, is that how that goes? It is for me. Oh, okay. So, yeah, if he's... So hey. we're good with the Astros then because Rob Manfred's good with the Astros. He didn't punish them. So we're good. Oh, no, because he got, he, he got, he whacked some people. But no, none of the players. Luno. Yeah, but none of the players. So we're good with all no, of them. He, he couldn't. The union isn't protecting Justin Turner. Jose Altuve? Justin Turner showed remorse. Yeah. You got me there. 
But did he actually show remorse or was it a statement that somebody crafted for him that he had to send out per this conversation no, with Major he, League Baseball? He had to talk to Manfred. And Manfred said that he expressed remorse. Here's how that conversation went, paraphrasing. We're doing a little theater here. Hey, that was dumb. Listen, we hope this goes away. I'm not going to punish you, but you got to write up a statement or something. Okay, fine. I'll have my PR guy do it. Thanks. <laughs> That's simple. <laughs> there's, there's no way that that conversation didn't go any other way. Bad decision, man. Why'd you have to put baseball in that position? We had made it to the finish line. Now the conversation's about something other than COVID. Or other than the championship. It's about COVID. How good is Carlson going to be? We're going to find out from Eno Saris of The Athletic next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. If you want to learn something new about baseball, it's a great idea to subscribe to The Athletic and read the work of Eno Saris, who joins us now with Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker, and Eno is on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Good morning, sir. Great to have you with us on the show. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Well, let's start with this. As you look at the the big picture in baseball, we don't expect that the Cardinals are going to be significant players in free agency because of the limitations placed on them financially by not having fans in the stands. Is your belief that baseball will be like that in general, or are there going to be multiple teams that are willing to spend in free agency? Uh, well, you know, the, the, the word is that there'll be some teams that'll be aggressive. The Mets certainly just got a new owner and they're going to want to spend a little bit of money to make that team better. I heard the delicious idea the other day that they would get both JT Real Muto and George Springer, the two top, uh, free agents in the market. But, um, getting one of them like Real Muto, I think makes a lot of sense for the Mets. There might be other couple teams that are at the at the point that they want to spend, like the White Sox and the Blue Jays. But I think just generally, front offices are risk averse, and right now, without knowing exactly how many fans can be in the seats next year, and exactly how much income they'll have, and how you know that fits in with their losses this year, I think most teams will be trying to pinch pennies. Um, I think there's been already some example of that. I know that Colton Wong most gets most of his value on defense, and so. Teams don't always value that the right way uh, or, or don't value defense as much as offense. So I guess you could say that makes sense to, to, to drop that option. Uh, but somebody like Brad Hand, uh, a closer who's been there for three, four years and been a great closer, um, no team in baseball picked up his one-year $10 million contract. So that seems a little weird to me. Um, and I think that's a sign that there's definitely going to be some penny pitching going on. You know, you had a great piece up at The Athletic about intriguing free agents in baseball this offseason. And one of the names you mentioned was Jack Peterson. And that's someone that has sparked the interest of a lot of people here in St. Louis. So how coveted do you think Jack Peterson will be on the market? And can you see the Cardinals as a fit for him? I, you know, Kyla McDaniel over at ESPN had uh, contract predictions. And he said that 30 out of the top 50 would be on one-year deals. And I, I tend to agree with him. I think there might be a ton of one-year deals as, as players say, hey, you know what, hopefully it'll be more normal next year. Let me just take this one-year deal and, and get back out on the market next year. And so I think Jock's going to be in that one-year that range. And I think that might be a great fit uh, for the Cardinals. You know, you've got uh, Tyler O'Neill and Harrison Bader both swinging from the right side. Um, and Tyler O'Neill grades really well by the advanced defensive staff. I don't know 
how people that see him play every day, what they think of him defensively. Uh, but I think with some sort of figure figuring out uh, center field, you could have Jock Peterson play a lot um, against right-handers and figure out how to play Tyler O'Neill and Harrison Bader after that. Um, and I think that would be worth like one year, seven million, one year, eight million. Um, and I think, you know, you don't always have to get a star to make a lineup better. Sometimes you can just make, you know, lengthen a little bit in the middle. And when you look at what Tampa Bay did, when you look at the way the Dodgers have succeed, succeeded over the years, platooning is not a bad thing. And the Cardinals have not been one of the teams that's really gotten involved. But I, I'm with you. If you had a platoon in left of Peterson and O'Neill, I think that would be pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. And if you, uh, if you like, saw Jock Peterson's stats from the last year and, and, and thought that was some decline, um, the stat cast stats, the, the under the under the hood stats about how hard he hit the ball or how often he barreled the ball were just in line with the rest of his career. And over his career, he's been a top twenty-five bat against right-handed pitchers. I think that's exactly um, what they could use in, in, in St. Louis. You know, you had another great piece at the Athletic that I really enjoyed reading last night about pitchers using extra grip substance on the ball and how prevalent this is in baseball. The headline on the piece even says that almost everyone in baseball is using something. So, can you explain that to our listeners? What that process is like uh, for pitchers to be using that extra substance, and is is baseball going to work to eradicate this, or do you think it's something that they should just accept if it's so widely used? Well, you know, what's, what's happening is with the, the rise of the, the machines, they're throwing in front of these machines that are tracking their data all the time. And what, they, what we know is that pine tar increases spin rate. So what's happening is that pitchers are applying sort of pine tar, but also all sorts of other substances to, the, to their fingers to get better grip on the ball, to increase their spin and get more movement. And they have all these tracking machines so they can see immediately which one works. And so they're doing stuff with like uh, cooking down Coca-Cola and, and, and taking like Sprite because it's clear. And, um, and, and the biggest one, and this is the reason why I think baseball is kind of, uh, from my sources, kind of throwing up their hands and saying enforcement is impossible. One of the one biggest ones is sunscreen and rosin. And you can't ban sunscreen. So you know, like, and you give them rosin at the thing. So all they have to do is sort of combine two ingredients that are unbannable and they get some grip and get some spin and, and, and uh, change the path of the ball. So um, I think that what's going to happen is something like along the lines of what's happened in softball um, is give them a substance that they can use, like sort of have a, a grip substance that the league approves. Um, and I think that's where we're headed. One of the other things you can do is change the ball. But the problem is the ball has been kind of changing over time over the last five years. And so baseball has gotten a lot of grief about it. And if they change the ball too much and lose all the home runs, we can have a game with a lot of strikeouts and no home runs. And I don't think anybody wants that. Eno Saras of The Athletic with us on 101 ESPN. And Eno, one of the famous photos in St. Louis Cardinals recent memory is of the ball actually sticking to Yadier Molina's <laughs> chest protector. That yeah. was funny. It was just a fluke. It just happened. But I wanted to ask you about Yadi because obviously we have a warm, passionate view of Yadier Molina and his fit with the Cardinals. You are more detached. You take a cooler headed view of it. How important do you think Yadier Molina is to this ball club and how important do you think it is for the Cardinals to bring him back? 
you know, at this stage of his career, I think he's also probably in that sort of one-year deal territory, and so I think it's an absolute fit that they need to do. And one of the things that, you know, I kind of base my analysis on the numbers, um, and so there's a big argument, is he in the Hall of Fame or not? You know, does he, uh, does he have enough war or whatever? And for, in fact, for catchers, I don't think that war captures um, their impact very well. And one thing I can point to is that we didn't know, used to know that framing we didn't know how to put numbers on framing. Then we figured it out, and then Yadi got a lot better. You know, and uh, there's game calling. We don't know how to put a number on that. I'm pretty sure Yadi Molina is really good at that. You know, mm-hmm. so um, you know if you add uh, some bonus points for game calling and for framing and for these intangibles, uh, I think Yadi's absolutely in for me. So, um, you know, Hall of Fame catcher is going to go into the Hall of Fame with the with uh, your team's logo on his cap. I think you bring him back. Same question, you know, but for Adam Wainwright, the Cardinals have not one but two difficult decisions to make out of guys who have pretty strong legacies here in St. Louis. I think I would just hope if I was St. Louis that the market uh, wasn't producing uh, great deals for them. I think at the ages that they're at um, and the way the market will be, I think they'll, they'll, all, they'll come back. I think if, those, if they get something like Jock, Adam, and Yachty, and hope for some growth from Dylan Carlson and maybe some of the young pitchers, I think, you know, that they'll call it a day and they'll have spent, uh, you know, 15 to 18 million or something. And uh, it may not uh, feel like a big deal, but um, it'll be meaningful. It'll be good to bring those guys back. Eno Saris, great stuff. Thanks so much for the time. We do appreciate it. And we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. That's Eno Saris from The Athletic. You can, of course, read his work at theathletic.com and follow him on Twitter at Eno, E-N-O-S-A-R-R-I-S. Coming up, we're going to head back to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and Notre Dame running back, Vianney Product. Kyron Williams will join Michelle and Randy on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker, and we head now to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Viani Products, St. Louis, and Kyron Williams had a huge day for Notre Dame against Clemson on Saturday. 23 carries, 140 yards. He scored three touchdowns, including that first touchdown of the game, which set the tone for the Irish in their 47-40 double overtime win against Clemson, a 55, a 65-yarder to start the day. And Kyron is with us now on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. Kyron Williams. Thanks so much for taking some time with us, and congratulations on the way things are going this season. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. You know, I'm, I'm glad to um, be able to uh, talk to you guys today, you know, from St. Louis through and for So uh, thank you, and uh, I can't wait. All right, Kyron, i got to start with this, because Zach Adamak, who was a manager on your Viani team, got me in touch with a couple of your former teammates from Viani last night. And to a person, they talked about how well you understand the game. What's that come from? Is that intuitive, or was there something in your young football life that made you such a good, fundamental football player? Yeah, I think um, just growing up playing football, always being around football. You know, my dad was a big football player. My whole family, they played football. So um, I just feel like being around the game, you know, just getting that natural feel for the game has allowed me to um, just take my IQ to different levels. You know, I'm uh, now I'm able to pick up blitzes, uh, see coverages, see um, different um, safety tilts. So like just those basic things that you know I just grew up playing football has just helped me um, to get where I'm at right now. Kyron, I read last night that you actually grew up playing defense. Is that true? Yeah, I, w- I grew up playing uh, middle linebacker for my dad's football team, little league football team. And how did you end up switching positions? 
Um, I think just in high school, I know um, when Coach Day, he wanted to uh, move me to offense because he knew he seen that I was able to play both sides of the football. So um, I just think that growing, growing up playing both sides has helped me get to where I'm at now. What was that opening touchdown like 33 seconds into the game on Saturday? I mean, it was unreal. You know, I'm I'm just getting the handoff thinking that I'm going to get as much as I can. And then here I'm, in, here I'm at the second level taking on the safety one-on-one. So um, that was big. You know, when I made the safety miss and I seen um, that I was going to score a touchdown, it was huge. You know, it was a confidence booster for everybody on the team. It, it got, it, got a, um, it set a tone for us as an offense and as a team. And um, after that, you know, we, as a whole team, we played to the highest level possible. Kyron, when you get into a situation like that, even against a defense that has a lot of great athletes, once you break into the open, do you know that nobody's going to catch you? Yeah, it's just that confidence that I have when I play that um, there's no way I'm going to let one man bring me down. So whenever I see that one-on-one opportunity, I think to myself that I have to win 100% of the time. Yeah, Kyron, it seems like you never really shy away from contact. You're a really physical player, and we've talked a lot on this show about your blocking abilities too. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so that, like you said earlier, just that having that defensive mindset um, growing up has allowed me to be that kind of person that doesn't show, shy away from contact. You know, um, whenever there's whenever someone asks, coach asks me to block, um, I'll never, um, I will never just think think twice about it. You know, I'll just go do the job, get a job done when I have to do for the team. Kyron, your offensive coordinator, Tommy Reese, seems to rely heavily on you. He really cooks out some schemes to highlight you. So what's it like to be a focal point of the offense? You know, it's it's, uh, it's something that I've always wanted to be here at Notre Dame. I've always wanted to be that person that the team can uh, lead around, can trust around. And Coach Reese has um, has proven to me that he he trusted me, that he trusted me a lot as a player and as a running back for his offense. So um, I'm just keep, like I said earlier, I'm just going to keep doing the things that Coach Reese asked for me to do to help this team win. Kyron Williams, the Notre Dame running back from Viani with us on 101 ESPN. And Kyron, it's interesting. You talk about taking a leadership role, which I know you did with Viani too. And I would assume that that's just part of your personality. Is is that the case? Is leadership something that is just innate to you that you do it? Or do you think about it consciously, try to take a, a lead with your team? No, I, I don't. I, I think that if you're a natural leader, you can't, you don't really think about leading. It just happens. So, um, I feel like growing up, my parents both instilled in me um, playing competitive sport that if I'm on the field, then I have to be a leader. My teammates around me have to feed off my energy. They have to um, look to me to be there for them and have their back always. So I feel like just being that natural leader that I am and just when I'm on the field, it really comes out and everybody can really see it. Kyron, what other schools were you considering coming out of high school and what made you want to go to Notre Dame? Uh, so I was really considering uh, Mizzou and Michigan, you know, Mizzou just being a hometown school, the school that I've always grown up to watch, and I've always, I was at, I was at every home game in Little League, um, and then Michigan because you know just as Notre Dame, the tradition of Michigan is uh, is evident, but there's no place like uh, Notre Dame. And as I said many times, when I first got on campus here, I knew this is where I wanted to be, and this is where home was at. What's school like in 2020 with COVID-19? <laughs> are you working from your dorm a lot? Are you doing a lot of online classes? Or are you able to get to classrooms? Uh, so school, you know, school is a little bit different, obviously, but um, I'm able to have both in-person and online classes. So uh, some days I'll be on campus, but some days I'll be in my apartment um, doing school from Zoom. So um, every day, you know, every day could be a curveball. So I'm just, you know, I'm just um, making those adjustments on the run.
Kyron, I want us to take you, or I want you, excuse me, to take us in that moment when you realize that Notre Dame had won the game and you look up and then you see all the fans rushing onto the field. What was that experience like for you? I mean, it, it was a surreal, mo- a surreal moment that I'll never forget in my life. You know, um, just one year ago, uh, just one year ago last year, I was a redshirt freshman, not thinking that I'd ever be in this position, and just. Um, being out on that field, seeing the tick, the, um, the time run down to zero and the students rushing the field um, after he beat Clemson, it's just a moment you'll never forget. And um, it's hard to explain what that moment was because it was just pure adrenaline and joy. Do you feel like that was a statement win for your team and for your program? Um, I feel like it was a statement win, but then again, it was just a win that as a program, as a football team, we needed to just keep going, to keep um taking on the rest of the season. Um, I feel like now as a whole team that our confidence is high and that, you know, we can just take ourselves to to the newest level if we, if we just keep working. And one of the keys, and that's the perfect way to put it, you have to keep working because you, you can't win your last three or your last four until you play the first play against Boston College. Once you get to practice the next time, I, I would assume it's either today or tomorrow, you can't think about Clemson anymore, can you? No, Clemson. Clemson um, is over after we won. After that Sunday, we moved on to BC. Now it's a new week. It's um, it's Tuesday, like you said. We have practice today, so now we're fo- mainly focused on BC. There's no one else that we're um, focused on. We're, we're not looking in the, the past or the future. So. We're just living in the present right now as a football team and just taking it day for day. Hey, I want to ask about that championship game for Vianney, 2018. They'd never won a championship before. And one of the comments that I got was that you said, hey, guys, I I want to put this team on my back. Can you tell us about that day and what you tried to accomplish and and how you went about it that day? Um, You know, just going into that state championship, knowing that it was – it could could be my last game of the season, last game of my high school career, um, just – Knowing the people that on that on that team and the brothers that I had on the team, I knew that I couldn't let them down. I knew that they wouldn't let me down. So I just told them, uh, I told them what it was, and I told them I had their back. That no matter what would happen, that they always had a brother in me. And um, we went out there that night and we we fought until the last of the whistle. And um, as you may know, that we went we came out on top and and then got our second state championship win. And there is nothing like, you mentioned they're your brothers. There's nothing like winning a championship. And this is still in only a couple of years ago. But you guys are bonded forever with that victory and that championship. Yeah, we brought something to Vianney he's never had. So, like, you know, we can just, it's always going to be a conversation to have about that football team that, that um, brought that state championship to a school that's never had one. So, like you said, it's that bond. We'll, it's that something we'll never forget and that bond will always always have. How much is it discussed that Notre Dame hasn't won a championship since 88, and how hungry are you for that? I mean, it's discussed every, basically every day, every team meeting that um, here at Notre Dame, our goal is to graduate championships, or graduate champions and play in national championships. So I think that we, we all know as a team, I know as a um, as a player that, that's our end goal. That's where we need to be. So I know that the work that I put in now, the work that we put in now as a team could uh, ultimately get us there, get us to where we want to be at the end of the season. And Kyron, I don't know if anybody has brought this up to you, but people in St. Louis are really paying attention to Notre Dame. <laughs> uh, obviously, last week, Mizzou had a, a bye. So our entire focus is on you and the Irish. So not <laughs> only do you have that national following that the Irish have, but a really intense following now here in St. Louis. Yeah, you know, that, I mean... That's just it's a, it's a blessing to hear that because you know just growing up in St. Louis and not always being that 
person everybody talked about always having to work for more. Um, it's just really, it's really um, a dream come true just knowing that, you know, that the, the kid from St. Louis is here in Indiana, Notre Dame doing his thing. So. Yeah, we're, we're fired up for you. We're excited thank about you. this weekend. We love watching you play, and you're making us all proud. So thank you very much for taking some time and doing what you're doing. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. All right, Kyron, take care. That is Kyron Williams, brought Viani their first championship. What a nice young man and a guy that you really want to root for. What a leader he is. You can just hear it in his voice when he's, whether it's in high school when he says, hey, I've got you. I'm going to put you on my back. We're going to go. The way he talked about loving being the focal point at mm-hmm. Notre Dame. If you're a Mizzou fan and you hear that he was considering Mizzou right now, that one has to stink. Or if you're Michigan. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but it, what you said, Randy, is so correct. Uh, definitely cheering for Kyron and the Irish, and we'll be paying a lot of attention to them down the stretch. They have a game at Boston College, and by the way, it's on ABC this weekend, 2.30 St. Louis time on ABC. Then they go to North Carolina, and they'll have their hands full with the Tar Heels. They got off to a good start. They've sputtered a bit of late. Then they have Syracuse and Wake Forest to wrap up before what we would presume would be an ACC championship game against Clemson. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. It's Carriker and Smallman. And coming up, we're going to cross things over with Dan McLaughlin as we head towards Scoops with Danny Mack on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. We're this morning that Ben Roethlisberger has been placed on the COVID-19 list by the Steelers, along with three other players. Dan McLaughlin joins us in studio. Steelers obviously unbeaten, playing great. And I think they can beat Cincinnati without him. He, if he tests negative, though, Dan, for the rest of the week, he can be back in their facility by Saturday. So what is the, uh, I know the, the big the Big Ten is, okay, 21 days, you're out. Uh, SEC has been different. We're seeing different with uh, Trevor Lawrence. What, what is it with the NFL? I, I'm, what is the total policy on this? Because I'm mixed up. Sometimes I think a guy's out, and all of a sudden he pops up and he's in the lineup. I believe the way it works is you has to, have to test positive for three – or negative, rather, for okay. three consecutive days. So if he tests negative Wednesday, Thursday, Friday – after the positive test came back today, then he could be back in their facility on Saturday. The Steelers are my team. They were my team as a kid when I wasn't watching the Big Red. I loved the Steelers. Really? Loved them. So, as you know, Michelle, when I was filling in for Randy and we were doing our preseason picks, because I really dove into the numbers, That's as you right. all know. I do all know that. Diving into the second and third team tackle and how guys <laughs> switch and defenses. Oh, yeah. I went with the Steelers specifically because Ben Roethlisberger was coming back. The guy's a Hall of Famer. In my mind. Easily. Yeah. Easy Hall of Famer. So Underrated, I by the way. And and I went with the Steelers. I love Mike Tomlin. When I did uh, some NFL games, I got to, to see him when he was a – and be in meetings with him when he was a coordinator. I guess it was with the Vikings. He was awesome. I mean, he commanded the room. And you could see that the guy was going to be a really good coach. Mm-hmm. And he's awesome. And – how about the lack of turnover for the Steelers with their coaching? Maybe there's something to that. You don't fire people when they have a down year. You live with the good, the bad. So um, they're pretty good, man. In, in they, the they last, got it down. They, they hired Chuck Knoll for 1970. Last 50 years, they've had three coaches. So Knoll, Cower, Tomlin. Tomlin. That's it. Pretty good. It's incredible. Pretty darn good. I really enjoyed your interview with Kyron Williams, by the way. As a Vianney guy, I would hope so. I was <laughs> tuned in. And he's representing Vianney. Uh, all of us are very, very proud. I, I graduated in the early 90s, and obviously we're much further apart in age. But uh, I was talking to one of the Vianney coaches and administrators over the weekend, and I said, tell me about, you know, I'd heard about him. I'd watched him play. 
I said, tell me, you know, what, what's he like? He said, he is the most humble kid we maybe have ever had here really? at Piani. He said, he is a great kid um, and was great to his teammates. He's getting all these accolades. He's all state. They won a state title at Viani, and you wouldn't have known it talking to him. He's just a really good kid, so I, I love seeing that. He's humble, but he has a presence about him. Sure when does. he talked to us, you could just hear it in his voice how intense he is about football. And when Randy mentioned in the in the championship game in high school how he said to his brothers, I, I'm going to take you on my back, let's go. Yep. So while he's humble, he still has that confidence in himself, which is an interesting balance to strike for a young man like that. And if you're a Mizzou or Illinois fan, you're going... How does that guy get out? Mm-hmm. Not now, if you're get, an Illinois fan, you know. Well, I, well yeah, they're struggling. <laughs> no, I get it. Like, it's Notre Dame. I mean, Notre Dame is Notre Dame. Yeah. I yeah. mean, what a what a great honor to go play for that that uh, college, that university. But it's kind of like in basketball, too. We're looking at, you know, guys that go to Hansboro, went to North Carolina. Um, guys go to Duke. I, I mean, how do you... Ryan Robertson went to Tatum Kansas. To Duke, yeah. yeah, Tatum went to, to Duke. I, I, I mean... As much as I'd love to see these kids stay home, go to SLU, uh, especially the one and dones, go to SLU like a Larry Hughes did, or go to Mizzou, or go to Illinois and stay semi-local. I mean, how do you fault a kid for going to Duke, Notre Dame, North Carolina? I mean, you can't. It's it's an honor. And I think especially in a situation like that, when you played at a Catholic school and you are recruited by right. Notre Dame, I think that even enhances your desire probably to go there. I would or, assume. Or your parents' desire to have you go yeah. there. The parents, you got <laughs> Big it. Big time. I, I would assume. I mean, that's one of the things that Vianney is very much of the faith and, you know, it's part of the deal. So, and the, the brotherhood that they talk about, I mean, brotherhood for life and all that kind of thing. So really cool to see him doing well. It's awesome. Really cool. Can you imagine going to Notre Dame for the first time if you're someone like Kyron Williams and they're trying to recruit you and you go to that blow campus? It would because I remember the first time I went to a game there and it blew me away as yeah. somebody that understands the magnitude of Notre Dame football and what the the program is and the legacy there. And I can't imagine if they pulled out all the stops for you and you're a football player and they are trying to recruit you, what that moment must be like. How do you go to a Duke-North Carolina game on a Saturday night, basketball, and say, they want me and I'm going to turn this down? Right. No way. Same thing with KU. If you guys have ever, have you been to Allen Fieldhouse? No, I've never been. It is phenomenal how they start the rock chalk, and I mean, the whole place is in unison. You're, I got goosebumps thinking about it, but you're in this old historic field house with all this basketball history, and they've got a lot of the history there. And you roll out to that place, and it's going bananas. You go, where do I sign on the dotted line, man? This is yeah. awesome. I went least, to, I would. I went to Duke, North Carolina, at North Carolina, and you have Michael Jordan coming out yeah. to, to fire up the crowd. He's What's he a, say? He said, the ceiling is the roof. That's what he, I was at that game. The ceiling is the roof. Got it. Oh, were you going to make it the, it's personal for me? Oh, no, I was, I was thinking ceiling is the roof. Yeah. Well, he said that. And the people I was with, we were with ESPN because we were covering the game. We were like, what did he say? And the 22,000 North Carolina fans were like, the ceiling is the roof. Yes. What does that mean? I think he just messed it up. And oh, he didn't really know what he was saying. Okay. But, he knows. but it doesn't right, matter. I'm just trying to figure this out. Okay. But if you're a North Carolina fan. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what he says. MJ's on the floor. <laughs> Who cares? Right, exactly. It doesn't matter. I thought one of the interesting things that Kyron said was that they bring up that they haven't won a championship since 1988 every single day. Yeah. And I do believe... That was Rocket Ishmael, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Good Over call. Colorado. Yep. And uh, yeah. Tony Rice was the quarterback yeah. under Lou Holtz. Yep. And they've lost some of their luster over the years. 
because they haven't won the championship. But I think they're one of the institutions, kind of like when Saban took over at Alabama, where they had lost luster. But once you win one, then all of a sudden you're back. And Mm -hmm. kids will be clawing to try to get to play football at Notre Dame. And don't you think, too, I was thinking about this today, I think this is Brian Kelly's... 10th or 11th year mm-hmm. now since he left Cincinnati, and he did get to a national championship game. They were blown out. He's been in the college football playoff against Clemson. I think they were blown out in that mm-hmm. game. But there is something, too, kind of what we're talking about with coaching, with the Steelers, and I think with guys that have a program. We are in a win-now mentality, and I understand that, and there's big money on it. But there has to be something about, more times than not, sticking with a plan and a coach and let them get their players in and not just one recruiting class, but two or three. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be some lumps along the way. Illinois is dealing with that now. I'm sure there's a lot of people saying, should we have given the extension to Lovey Smith? I get it. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. But I think if you stay with it and you're always flipping guys over, it's tough to win. Michigan is a great example. Jim Harbaugh wins. He just is not beating Ohio state and winning at the level that Mm -hmm. they want. So who who are you going to get? That's better than Jim Harbaugh. Honestly, it's going to be hard for them. I mean, I I don't know it, the internal workings of this. I mean, unless it's Urban Meyer or somebody that is, and there's always the hot coach out there, but Jim Harbaugh is perfect for Michigan, but they're going to run him out of there. And you have to understand your limitations. There's nothing wrong with going... 10 and 2, 10 and 3 every year. There's nothing wrong with that. But for Michigan fans, because they didn't beat Notre Dame, there is something wrong. Ohio with State. It. Yeah. Yeah. Mean, yeah. Uh, yeah, Ohio State. I mean, yeah. And you would think, though, that he's going to get blue chip guys. And at some point, maybe that glue all comes together. Maybe for Notre Dame, it was getting Kyron, mm-hmm. who was awesome on Saturday. I mean, if you watched him run the football, he was not only great with that, he can also catch the ball in the backfield. The thing that impressed me more than anything. Him picking up the blitz. He's great. He was unbelievable at that. He's, he gave them time to pass. But maybe you get that one player that gets you over the hump, and then all is kind of forgotten. I do think there is something to be said. Not that having a former NFL coach is a bad thing, but Brian Kelly came in with his own plan. I remember when I was doing high school games, kids telling me that when Charlie Weiss would come to recruit them, he told a running back in St. Louis, he said, okay, you're going to be Kevin Falk. You'll be for us what Kevin Falk is with the Patriots and I think there was a corner he said you'll be Ty Law and there was a tight end too and I, I don't even remember who the Patriots tight end was at the time but he said this is the guy that you're going to be rather Hopefully than not give, Aaron Hernandez no uh, <laughs> okay thank goodness but rather than giving the guys their own identities yeah I, you got uh, that's something that I would have said it was I just kind of threw it out there yeah. but go ahead uh, it, it was okay that you're going to be this guy, you're going to be yeah. this guy. And I don't think it worked. Ulti- obviously, it didn't work ultimately for Charlie Weiss as far as success went. Don't you think, though, a lot of guys, a lot of coaches are saying, I can get you, though, to the next level. Yep. Yeah. So you are going to be like this player. Think about how this player fits in our system. That's why we want you because we can get you to the next level. I've been there. I'm the coach. I've, I've coached at the highest level. I've won Super Bowls. I can get you there. That's impressive. And that's why... You walk in with those Super Bowl rings into a living room. That's huge. That catches your attention. And that's why a guy like Eli Drinkwitz has to say at Mizzou to a quarterback, okay, you can be Drew Locke. I can get you where you're wearing that tiger, the M on the side of your helmet, and you can be a first-round draft choice. We've had Drew Locke played for Barry Odom. Chase Daniel played for Gary Pinkle. Blaine Gabbert played for Gary Pinkle. Doesn't matter who the coach is here, Mizzou can get you to the NFL as a quarterback. I would also say, too, when you come to Mizzou, you're playing in the best league we have to offer in college football. You want to see the best? You think you're the best? Let's go get them. We know Eli is saying that. Oh, yeah. 
I mean, you, you think about the home schedule Mizzou would have had with because of the weather problems with LSU. You would have had Alabama, LSU, and Georgia all at home. They got Georgia this weekend, but mm-hmm. all at home. Could you imagine how great of a home schedule that would be this year for Mizzou? Unfortunately, there's going to be about what eleven thousand fans there, but better than nothing. Better than nothing. Yeah, yeah. So storm the field. Please don't. Please don't. Yeah, we don't need that. No. We want to watch more football. Please don't. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> What's coming up on Scoops? Uh, talk about the Masters and then uh, kind of cover a lot of different avenues of what's going on with Devin Williams, St. Louis native, mm-hmm. winning the Rookie of the Year. We've got some football news and uh, a little college basketball concerning SLU, too. Looking forward to that. All right. Thanks, guys. That is Danny Mack and Scoops with Danny Mack is coming up. Thanks to our producer engineer, Scott Manziara. Thanks, Randy. And Michelle, this was great. Had a great time. Thank you. Today was fun, Randy. See you tomorrow. We will do it again tomorrow. Michelle and I will give you our picks for the Masters as part of tomorrow's program. Plus, it's Veterans Day, so we want you to be here. For all of us, thanks for tuning in, texting in, being a part of the show. Till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. At Jiffy Lube, it's our job to make car care make sense. With personalized service reviews that swap the car talk for straight talk. So you know what your car is telling you and what to do about it. Putting you in the driver's seat of car care? That's a job for Jiffy. What's that place you've always wanted to try? Well, you're there. Sharing plates with... Just one bite. Or on second thought, maybe not sharing. It's that good. When you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it.